0: you the only again he the
1: you
0: know <laughs> Fair play. Talk to Neil that's, that's a cork at this stage, I think <laughs> The Neil Prenderville show on Red FM I just love cork people conversation that matters
2: Certainly do get involved in the conversation the Neil Prenderville show with Mercedes Benz Cork awfully awfully sad reading this morning uh, and for those that might have heard some of the audio from the funeral the laying the rest to rest of little Matthew Healy is just beyond sad and how the family uh, will comprehend it come to terms with it and deal with the loss I have no idea Uh, um, his dad said cherish your children every day Uh, that's the headline making the front of the echo today a father who lost his son in tragic circumstances at Dunmore East County Waterford only last Friday uh, described him as my little lad my buddy and my chief While calling on mourners at his funeral to cherish their children. So it was hundreds of people attended the Mass at the Church of the Angels um, for Matthew Healy in Watergrass Hill yesterday. Um, His father James wept as he told of his excruciating sorrow at the loss of his beloved son, Matthew. He actually addressed Matthew in the church. He says, it has been the greatest honour in my life and an absolute pleasure to be your dad I'm so sorry I could not save you chief I love you I'm quite emotional about this this morning my apologies because uh, anybody you know you have to be out of a heart of stone not to be moved by this the tragedy of this and you know the not being able to comprehend so how and why something like this, something like this could happen um, The Sun this morning, Carrie, sorry I couldn't save you, you were my buddy and my chief the inside pages of the papers say um, we know there are other aspects to the story for sure they are. there are Tuesday night, uh, Matthew's mother Ruth Purcell Healy uh, appeared before a special sitting of Waterford District Court charged with his murder we'll have to allow guard investigations and, and court issues to to take their course there but Matthew's father weeping yesterday as he told mourners of his utter sorrow uh, at the loss of his beloved son they really were like two peas in a pod uh, dad and son and were utterly heartbroken but privileged to have known and loved such a wonderful little lad he said he had a promising future he was so bright and far beyond his six years many thought he was much older than he actually was Uh, particularly when he was so tall. He was a a stunning lad, beautiful blonde hair, um, big blue eyes, big beaming smile. He'd own a room. I think somebody said over the last few days, you might not have known Matthew when he walked into a room, but you can damn sure you knew him when he walked out again. Awfully sad. More on that a a little later on. Um, There is another, there's a guard investigation actually continuing into death. This is the Michael Foley death in McCroom, lads. Um, They have now arrested two people in Cork City in connection with their inquiries regarding that. We, we know that Michael Foley, the age of 61, found dead in his home, McCroom, uh, on Tuesday, February 6th. So that's an update on that story making this morning's echo. And there's another case which I'll take a look at with uh, Olivia Kelleher, the journalist, in, in a few minutes' time. And this is... Uh, the headline actually is what's... Uh, the headline and the sentence is what's uh, probably attracting most attention with regards to this story, where a drunk driver was jailed for 18 months... Uh, over the death um, of uh, a woman uh, from the Guelto, her name was uh, gobnet Tumi, a fifty one year old woman I will come back to this with, the, with regards to the f- the court reports in a, in a few minutes' time um, but um, the the sentence was i believe um, i don 't have all of the details here in front of you but it was a three year suspension sus- uh, sentence with half of it suspended uh, for dangerous driving causing the death of the fifty one year old Um, my fellow called Michael Lucy from Ballangiri uh, he was uh, well over the limit and drove somebody else's car by all accounts so uh, I'll come back to that one. And you know how we hear of assaults all too often, all too common. People get sucker punched or people approach them from behind. Happens all of the time. We've been hearing it a lot recently about students in their uniforms going home from school in Cork. But the one particular one that's of interest in the Echo this morning is Liam Heelan's court report of a man from uh, Spain who was over here and living here at the time. So the fellow gone to jail now for a year after he was sentenced by a judge. There was a young Spanish student walking home through Quark City... Uh, he was outnumbered and he was attacked and robbed so one fellow anyway called Harrington Richard Harrington no fixed address he pleaded guilty to a charge of assault causing harm to the young man in March of, of last year now what's interesting is apparently the Spanish lad was walking from Cork City Centre to his home on Magazine Road when he got to Bandon Road he was approached uh, by three males and a female now one man ran past him and turned around to get into conversation with him and one man came up behind him and punched him in the side of the head. He went down, he was then kicked in the head... Lost his phone during the assault. Um, the, this attacker picked it up, apparently. Uh, now that that's the most—that's another one of those cowardly attacks where you have, in this case, three, maybe four people. I'm not saying that all four of them were involved in it, but one at the front, and then he gets sucker punched from behind. It's the height of cowardice. Uh, he made a full recovery, uh, but he no longer lives in Cork. He just went back to Spain, I suppose. So I hope he recovers psychologically from it. And do you know, you hear all of these these scams from different walks of life and different forms and fashions. It could be Tarmacademy, it could be guttering, it could be roofs, it could be all sorts of different stuff. There's also a father and son scam who sold a man a fake Rolex. What's interesting about this story is that originally the victim in this bought a legitimate Rolex watch uh, from them uh, for €5,200. But then they went back to him with what they described was a superior Rolex. And they showed him all the certificates to verify that it was genuine, which it wasn't. The certificates weren't even genuine, apparently. So the victim then gave them back the first watch, which was a real Rolex, and gave them them an additional €7,250 for the second watch, which was the fake one. So it was a right old swindle This father and son uh, conned this middle-aged man living in a remote rural area Um, so when the victim found out that the fake watch didn't work um, he rang them and he was told to shake the watch and wait a few days he did all of that watch was a fake it was absolutely useless wouldn't have been worth 50 or 60 euros a fake so went into town apparently went into a legitimate jewellers don't know, you know which jewellers it might be I, I can't say I think one of the, the main Rolex dealers in, in, in Cork would be Keynes it may have been Keynes I don't know but anyway they said to him that it was a fake brought it in and they confirmed that it was a fake uh, so that's the story that makes the papers today regarding father and son Michael O'Regan Um, from uh, Killarney and his son John O'Regan also from Killarney both pleaded guilty at Cork Circuit uh, Criminal Court uh, to inducing the victim to buy a fake uh, Rolex and uh, it's been adjourned for sentencing incidentally. It'll be interesting to see what happens in that case. But yesterday afternoon don't know what you guys were doing but i was doing a bit of work at home and i said i better keep an eye or half an eye on this Eroctus committee report uh, that was uh, aired live on television like back in the in the days of ryan torbordy and all of the issues regarding uh, his uh, his payments um so i started because i wanted to know what exactly what the the line of questioning would be and who would turn up and who wouldn't turn up two hours later i was still watching it you know the way you'd be A lot of it has to do with Toy Show, the musical, and the other part of it had to do with those who got massive golden handshakes to go. And um, there was actual gasps uh, from the Eroctus committee uh, members yesterday, many of them TDs, when they heard that uh, RTE's former chief financial officer, Brida O'Keefe, got a 450,000 golden handshake to go. Now, I won't say much about the circumstances in which she had to go, but she didn't have to go, but she did have to go kind of thing. So it was 450 grand. Do you know Paula Venels, the former CEO of the post office in the UK, after the scandalous treatment of postmasters or post... post People, I suppose, if you like those that ran post offices across the UK, um, and the and the computer scam, the computer f- issues that uh, led to people being prosecuted. She ultimately then went to get, to get um, uh, was a CBE or an OB? She got a peerage anyway, or she got some sort of award under the uh, the honours list. She was she, um, she got an MB. She was forced to give that back because of public pressure in the UK. Paula Venables. Now the front page of the Mail this morning is saying directly to the RTE former chief financial officer hand back your 450 grand hand back your rte golden handshake that you received but what i picked up on yesterday is actually the front page of this morning's independent today that rte now has to foot the tax bill for the 450,000 golden handshake which sounds to me as if it's 450,000 free and clear I'm, I'm open to correction on this for Breed O'Keefe, and that RT picks up the tax that is owed to Revenue, so that makes it substantially more than four hundred and fifty thousand euro. But who wasn't there yesterday? Well, D Forbes still hasn't turned up for anything um, because she is uh, on she's sick. She's not actually, she actually on, she's not on sick leave. She's resigned from RT, but she can't attend because of health issues. So no show there. Breed O'Keefe wasn't there either but sent Kevin Backhurst an email telling him ask these questions and outline these things on my behalf he he emailed her back and said no I won't come in and do it yourself so she wasn't there either and Moya Doherty wasn't there nor was Rory Coveney so fairly there's at least three senior players here that need to come in again to answer questions, Rory Coveney for sure Dee Forbes without a doubt because she's never answered a single question and Moya Doherty because a lot has happened with regards to Toy Show The Music farce. toy show the musical flop. So it's a Valentine Day, Valentine's Day massacre yesterday for RTE as the bombshell payoff leaves a very bad stink from the bouquet on Valentine's Day. A headline in the Sun this morning says RTE thanks a half a billion, says Breeda. So there was, you know, we learned over the last year there was. there's lots of different retirements with RTE, there's lots of different resignations, there were those that had to go. Shouldn't have had to go, but had to go, if you know what I mean by that. And then many who just refused to answer questions. Some might suggest that really and truly that all of the top levels within RTE should have gone. And it should have gone well before now. And the whole lot should have been replaced um, when Kevin Backhurst came in and took over and tried to sort out the mess. So more on that throughout the course of the morning. If you watched it, your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Again, then, with regards to how we rear our children, um, regular family meal time is one of the best ways to rear your children and set them off well in life um, and certainly to boost their brain power. Not just that, not just eating as a family, but playing as a family and having very strict bedtime rules with regards to the time your child goes to bed. It's it's, it's like old-fashioned parenting, really, that sometimes, unfortunately, we need to be reminded of. And that's the story that makes uh, the Mail today. And in the English Times... There is, and we've heard this before about Pontons, the holiday camp company. They now have been officially found to have continued to racially discriminate against Irish travellers. And they have discriminated against Irish travellers and officials are now saying that that behaviour has actually continued while in the past they've been criticised and told to stop their discrimination against gypsies and travellers. And it's a story in the Times today because Pontons have a list of names, apparently. And I'd imagine they have a list of names only because they wouldn't accept bookings from names like Boyle, Carney, Connors, Corcoran, Delaney, Doherty, Gallagher, Horan, Keefe, Leahy, Ward, Stokes, O'Reilly, O'Mahony, O'Donnell, O'Connell, O'Brien, Nolan, Murphy, McMahon, McGinley, McDonough, and McLaughlin. Some of those names actually are names that would either be like Connors, isn't? It's different to O'Connor. Um, you know Keefe is different to O'Keefe but there's, they're all Irish names in some way shape or fashion so they have a nonetheless there's another one or two that that I, that I really like in the papers today and one of them has a breakdown of things that got dropped in the different decades you might well be interested in this uh, where they talk about what was what was dropped in the 1970s you know kind of gadgets and things and what was introduced and became famous in the 1970s 80s 90s 90s and 10s. well in the 1970s the things that were dropped included instant cameras uh, sorry, things that were added in the 1970s included instant cameras, disposable nappies. And in the 1970s removed, which I don't understand why, because I still drink Bovril, but apparently Bovril got dropped in in I mean, world parlance or conversation. And writing ink, which is also bizarre because I only bought a bottle of writing ink for my fountain pen last week, which leads, to, leads me to believe that I actually still live in the 1970s alongside the Osmonds and David Essex and Slade and Glamrock, because I have Bofrell <laughs> and I also have print a uh, writing ink. In the 1980s, donuts were added, deodorant, bottled water, microwaves arrived, Walkmans, and frozen meals, and they dropped, apparently, fish fingers. Weird. Still eat them. So I'm confused as to whether I'm still in the 70s or 80s. But other things that fell out of fashion besides fish fingers, black and white television, plugged tobacco, which is the chewing tobacco, castor sugar and playing drafts fell out of fashion I'll tell you more about the 90s the 90s and the tenties a little later on but also the papers this morning talk about the fact that women can interpret emojis differently and better than men I'm useless at emojis I get the clapping one and I get the smiley face but the other ones are lost on me there are other ones of course happy, fearful, sad, angry Um, they apparently can tell the difference it's like you can write entire sentences now only with emojis in the not too distant future there will be no words or letters anymore the entire language will be replaced by a language of emojis and women are far more prepared for it than men
3: call neil now
0: 0818 the neil brendeville show on red fm
2: uh, some people might find uh the audio i'm going to play very very upsetting I, I certainly did myself it's the father uh, who lost his son matthew at uh, matthew's funeral mass yesterday up in watergrass hill i told you some of the paper stories and headlines from it Already this morning, this is uh, James Healy talking about his son Matthew. The tragic 6 year old died after being found unresponsive in the back of a car last Friday. He said, Matthew, it's been the greatest honour of my life and an absolute pleasure to be your dad. I am so sorry I couldn't save you, Chief. Uh, I love you. This is some of the audio from his tribute to his son uh, in, uh, the, at the funeral mass uh, yesterday lunchtime.
4: See from the photo here in front of us. At one time I wasn't supporting the, the cue ball look that I am now. And the day I got my head shaved, I came home and Matthew ran out to the, meet me in the jeep. And I opened the door of the jeep and he came up and I said, well, chief, do you see anything different with dad? Sarcasm was not lost in him. He looked at me and he said, I'd say you have no shoes, dead, do you? <laughs> I couldn't count the number of times I was stopped on the street by complete strangers commenting on how beautiful he was. He was beautiful in many ways. Matthew was a very affectionate child, but he was full of devilment and a bit of crack, right from the word go. He just loved a bit of fun. It is an incomprehensible loss to his little school pals, friends and cousins who should not know such grief so young. Matthew had a promising future. I know that he would have grown into a most decent and capable man had he been given the chance. However, no, he will be forever six years old.
2: He'll be forever six years old. That's Dad James. So James's brother would be um, uh, Matthew's uncle, Dan. And he introduced the gifts of the offertory. A procession.
4: Ten hundreds of miles he cycled with his dad and his uncles and his cousins to his toasts. We also have a ribbon from the Far West Festival, which is a sample of the camping trips he took with his dad, and with his uncles and, and, and cousins, and his little wallet that he got out of Smickle for his pocket money so he could buy his ninety-nine ice creams. And that's just a, a little sample of the wonderful life. My nephew, my little baby too.
2: You can hear the emotion in their voices. Why wouldn't you? They're absolutely distraught, and who wouldn't be? I was watching some of the footage of the, um, you know, outside of the church in Watergrass Hill yesterday. And and I couldn't help but think that this is a church that is absolutely full inside with people wanting to pay their respects and then others who also wanted to do likewise, but waited outside. And I'm talking about what looked like hundreds. Certainly, I saw at least a 100 people and the queuing to go in, I suppose, and wait their turn patiently uh, to be part of the condolences. And uh, and part of the tribute to the little six year old lad, Olivia Callagher, the journalist, covers the story for quite an amount of the papers this morning and joins me by phone. Hard, it's hard to comprehend a tragedy of this of this level, and and uh, it's, it's it even makes it so much worse when you hear uh, Matthew's dad talking so beautifully about his son and saying, "I'm sorry I couldn't save you, Chief." Olivia,
5: Ab- absolutely, uh, clearly a very much loved child, and that was very obvious. And I suppose great credit to James Healy and to Dan, um, the uncle of Matthew, that they did manage to say um, quite a bit about Matthew. And um, I suppose they, they painted a very vivid picture of a beautiful, happy, smiling child. Um as you mentioned there, his uncle Dan uh, went through the various mementos of, of Matthew's life. And he recalled that Matthew had a great love of baking, Neil. And um, I suppose any parent can identify with this when a child makes what Dan called some queer concoctions. And he said, you know, he'd come out with the luminous pumpkin orange cake or a radioactive green cake. And um, there was no hesitation on Matthew's part. Um everything had to be sampled. Um, you couldn't say it was bad. And he said, but they all survived to tell the tale. <laughs> Um, And I think as well, some of the offertory gifts, Neil, um, jellies. Uh, Dan had said that uh, like any child, uh, Matthew had a sweet tooth and they had a, a sweet cupboard in the kitchen and uh, Matthew would be there with his cousin getting stuff out of the sweet cupboard and going into the back room of the kitchen eating it or if he wasn't doing that, he was trying to get a 99 out of his dad um, and as you mentioned as well um, James Healy paid play, an extraordinary tribute uh, to his son um, he recalled uh, playing Donkey Kong with them. Um, he, Matthew loved, like any child of six, he loved things like his uh, Nintendo Switch. Um, James said it had been the greatest honour of his life. And an absolute pleasure to be the, the father of of Matthew, and as you said, I'm so sorry I could not save you, Chief. I love you. He called him my little lad, my buddy, and my chief. And he said that, um, and I think anybody who looked at the picture of Matthew over the last few days would see this as well. He said that he'd striking blue eyes, blonde curly hair, mm. a gorgeous smile, mm. and a most affectionate laugh. Mm.
2: Yeah, um, there were two peas in a pod. Actually, they they seem to they, yeah. they, they they cycled, they swam, they they explored the mountains together. Um, and James will never have an opportunity to see Matthew grow up uh, into his teens and into a young man, as many of us do. And I speak personally from this, from somebody who's had the pleasure of you know um, you know having children and watching them grow and blossom. And mature. It's 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 utterly incomprehensible, yes, isn't it? It? It, yeah. it really is. And
5: they, they, they seem to pack so much in, though. They seem to do, you know, camping. Um, it made me actually think about, you know, when the kids are very small and you're rushing around, you're trying to pay bills, and then you blink, and, <laughs> and they're twenty, and and you kind of say to yourself, like, he had so many. There were so many lovely memories um, that 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 he yeah. was able to tell everybody about. Yeah. And I think the people of Watergrass Hill were were amazing. Um, they really came together and came out in their hundreds. And just to see to see any father going into a church um, carrying the coffin, a small little white coffin of his son, it's, it's beyond words. And, and just
2: finally on this, and yet he still found the time, James, in spite of his grief where you'd have just complete brain fog at a time like this. He, he thanked the guards and the paramedics and all I the mercy. The that he paramedics, putt- isn't that right? yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: He did, he did. And I suppose, you know, you'd have to have a thought for for the paramedics who came on the scene and anyone who you know for to save uh, the little boy and guards paramedics uh, really is a terrible job and um that there's great credit to them as well for for what they've you know had to go through over the last few days
2: you said i appreci- every- appreciate everything you did to try to try and save my poor That's little right. man's life it's yeah. very it's very emotional even even just reading reading those words and may matthew rest in peace um, and his dad should be so proud of uh, rearing such a, a beautiful Little boy, um, there was a. Can I just ask you before I go? There, there was another loss of life. Um, there was. It, 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 it actually didn't happen yesterday, but it certainly resulted in a, in a court appearance yesterday for a man called Michael Lucy. Uh, it was the death of um, Gubna Tumi. Um, I think the word. Well, can, can you? Maybe talk talk us through about this 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 story because there were did, did this started because there were two different funerals going on at the same there time. There were I think, but, two yeah.
5: different funerals, Neil. It was the thirteenth of December, twenty twenty two, and Gobin to me um, a forty a fifty one year old woman. Sorry, she was living in Dublin. She had trained as a physiotherapist, um, graduated that September, and got a job offer the day after she died. It came in through email. She came down to Cork for the funeral of her uncle who to died suddenly. Ball- To Ballingeri, and uh, Michael Lucy was in. Had attended the funeral of his father that day. It was one funeral after the other, and um, Gubnet and her mother and sister brought their brought her father home because he'd cancer. They took care of him that day. They attended another funeral. Michael Lucy went to a reception after his father's funeral. That night, about 10 past one in the morning, um, Michael Lucy, who is a man without any previous convictions, a farmer in the area, um, he came out of a, a local bar and he thought that a man with him was quite drunk. And he, on impulse, decided to drive the car. But um, it, it turns out that Michael Lucy was three times over the limit himself. And he got into the car, went down Main Street in Ballangiri. And crashed into, um, striking five pedestrians who were on the road. So it was governor Toomey, her mother, and her sister. So there were harrowing scenes then because um, Eilish, Eilish Toomey, sorry, Eilish Toomey, um, knelt over the body of her daughter governor as she died on the road. Um, Gobinat's sister Kate had to be taken by ambulance to Cork University Hospital. She had a brother in Cork. They didn't know. He didn't know going. Was the sister Kate? What? What was she going to be alive? What was? They didn't know the extent of her injuries, mm. um, because Ballingarry. You know, it's a relatively small place. A lot of the family members were on the scene very quickly, and her brother Sean Toomey um, delivered a, an extraordinary victim impact statement, where he said that the scene was total chaos. That he knew that Gob was dead, and um, she was affectionately known as Gob. She was the life and soul of the family. And he said that his mother was hysterical, having seen her daughter being rolled over. And there were two others also lying on the road. And he said, basically, they stayed with Gubb until they could put her into the coffin. Um, and he said that the trauma that they experienced and what they witnessed on the road would, would stay with them forever. So um, her fiance, or sorry, her partner, Jay, also gave a victim impact statement and he said that uh, he was a Frenchman, he said that Governor made life in Ireland, that he was completely lost without her, that some of her like she had like there was food in the cupboard that she'd make um I suppose he he couldn't he couldn't throw it out he he yeah. just is completely lost without her. Yeah. So Michael Lucy um, got an 18-month um, sentence and was disqualified for driving for a period of five years.
2: Mm. It, w- it was a three-year sentence with the final 18 months suspended and a five-year disqualification. It. I do recall also that Sean Toomey, which would brother, also said that he was the person who had to tell Gobnet's father that his daughter it had is. been killed uh, on the same day as his dad buried his brother and he said his father died just months after governor he said he had fought like a warrior for 2 years to beat his cancer but his will to live died that day he died broken hearted a few months later tragedy upon tragedy just, then
5: yeah tragedy on tragedy i mean within 4 months um her father had died it's been i just think it's it's been an unbelievable um sequence of events Uh, As it turns out, there was an ambulance in the area that night. That ambulance was able to get quickly to the scene to bring her sister Kate to the hospital. Um, I know that that Christmas the people of Ballangiri were exceptional Um, I believe that because it was the run up to Christmas that this happened, the locals decided not to put on their Christmas lights in the houses the families noticed and they said no Christmas has to go on in the area but people have really come together and um, I think uh, Gobnet was was very very much loved in in the area she was the the heart and soul of her close knit family of two (laughs) girls and seven boys was
2: there an was there an impa- an impactful defense in this case that would have led to ultimately um uh, you know, an 18 month sentence uh, well, what did I the defense think say? That,
1: um
5: elizabeth o'connell the senior counsel defending uh, mr lucy pointed to the fact that he didn't have any previous convictions Um, She said that there are other prisons other than those made of stone. And she said that um, he'd have to live with what had happened um, for the rest of his life. Um, he expressed remorse, which Judge uh, Colin Daly accepted uh, was genuine. Um, and he, however, Judge Daly said he did make a conscious decision to drive when he couldn't have failed to realize that his ability to drive was significantly impaired. Like He was three times over the limit for, for alcohol
2: okay um okay we, we we can't talk to we can 't talk as to the reaction to the sentence because we we don't know what the reaction from people will be to the sentence, but yeah. it, it it very much makes the headline in the papers as in drunk driver jail for 18 months over death uh, so obviously some people would clearly be alarmed at the shortness uh, of the sentence uh, but it also does show um, because apparently it was shown in court that this, the speed that the car was travelling at was just over 27 kilometres an hour, very slow
5: very slow. He was under the speed limit but I, I'm not sure if there's quite an average. It seems to have been, I mean it might have been a little higher at different times mm. but around an average of that. But it does seem to have been a very slow. But there was a victim impact statement from a man called Padre pa- pa- Corgan who was injured in the incident and he said all he remembers was flying into the air and hitting the in cro- hitting the ground. Um, the pain was so bad that he thought his left foot had been severed off. He looked down and thank god he said he realized he was still in one piece and he said he'll never forget seeing Eilish Toomey kneeling over her daughter's side and watching her slip away and he lives with um back injuries and he said he's, uh, he's he gets so upset at times because he's a two-year-old son and sometimes when the pain is very bad he can't lift him up so I mean there, there has been this has impacted on 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 other people of course. and of course the loss of of, of poor government yeah.
2: thank, thank you so much Olivia appreciate you taking the call this no morning heaven. journalist thank Olivia Kellagher from uh, court yesterday um, on the death of uh, Governor Toomey uh, and the trial of uh, Michael Lucy and our thoughts, of course, are with Governor's family. Text 0868 Call's on the way.
3: Call Neil
0: now. 0818 The Neil Prendiville Show on Red
2: FM. I didn't actually expect yesterday's Oireachtas committee um, to be as powerful or as impactful as it was. They call it a Valentine's Day massacre for RTE yesterday. So much so, the front of the mail is asking Brid Keefe, the former ex-chief financial officer to give back the 450 grand golden handshake that she gave from rt and you got to never forget actually front and center to this is taxpayers money time after time after time and there were many many questions uh, of course i thought it would only be about toy show the musical flop but it became a lot more than that and it became also a story of those that went and why they went and uh, data protection and gdpr and not being able to give amounts of money that uh, we certainly found out about the amount of money that that Brito O'Keefe got. But then there are unanswered questions then around, say, Rory Coveney and there are unanswered questions around the chief financial officer, Richard Collins, as well as all of the issues around uh, Toy Show, the musical and what have you. And then, of course, it moved on to um, uh, the the license fee and uh, another 40 million uh, that RT have, have their hand out with and probably will get it um, from the taxpayer again this year to top up their already failing empire. But amongst them yesterday, of course, was uh, Tommy Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. And he dug away as best he could against Kevin Backhurst and other few, just to try and get the figures, the amounts of money involved. He didn't have any luck, though. Tommy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Because RTE Backhurst had said took legal advice, I couldn't tell you. The only amounts of money that we know about, clearly, is the 450 grand that
6: Brito Keefe got, Right. That's right. And the question I asked Kevin Backhouse yesterday, Neil, was if he couldn't give me the individuals uh, singly, what I was looking for was the overall figure. How much was paid out to people who resigned or left RT over these scandals? And I couldn't even get that figure off him. And my point was, this is public money. like People, people have a right to know this is a public broadcaster with uh, people's army people's had their money and we couldn't get answers and like I'm not trying to, to scapegoat going anyone here but at the end of the day they have a responsibility to the only man and woman on the street to the only taxpayer or license fee payer like, and one of the points I made to Kevin Backloss yesterday which I made to the minister and uh, the Tardisher and the Taoiseach the day before 13,000 people were dragged through the courts last year yeah. for not paying their TV license mm. And at the same time, then RT are getting people who squandered millions at four hundred fifty thousand as they go out the door. It's just it's
2: unbelievable. So he he said words to the effect: Kevin Backhurst said that when he came in, there had to be changes at the top. But you can't. These are my words, not his. You can't sack people. You have to. I suppose you can't fire people anymore, even if they do the job badly. So there has to be kind of. Exit packages. So he calls these amounts of money exit packages. Is that my right
6: understanding of it? Yeah, but the thing was, mean, some people actually did leave. For, like what he said yesterday was that, uh, and just my memory being right, D um, Forbes, I was a D Forbes, some somebody D Forbes resigned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got no money. No, no. But money. Other people resigned, I got nearly half a million. Yeah. So like. Like if you Rory resigned, Coveney, Rory if Coveney resigned, done. but he most definitely got a payout, right? Well, that was cut to me yesterday by Kevin Backus. But when I asked him how much, he wouldn't tell me. And when I asked him what about the other people who resigned, he wouldn't tell me that. Like, if you resign, you shouldn't be getting hundreds of thousands on the way out the door. And do you see
2: something that I noticed yesterday afternoon that's picked up by the Independent this morning, where they're talking about the tax implications of this um, RTE has to foot the tax bill. Does that mean that that's four hundred and fifty grand um, net,
6: and RTE paid the tax on it? Yes, that's my understanding. That there's there's actually ten different payouts that Kevin Backcross confirmed yesterday that there could be tax liabilities about, and I said it was also confirmed that RTE would have to pay that. Whatever well, the revenue, and they've notified the revenue. So not alone but how the, we give them people lump sums, we're going to have to pay the tax on them as well. Do
2: they don't have to pay any tax on the money they got. Is that right? That
6: RT pay the tax for them? Well, that's what was confirmed at the hearing. When we were asking questions yesterday, okay. uh, it came out that that's what was going to happen and that's another a scandal music. but that means that a
2: 450,000 a 450,000 golden handshake nearly half a million is actually probably worth 650,000 if you were paying tax on it yourself
7: yes
6: that's correct wow and also you know we'll have to cover that cost
2: and of course yesterday also became about those that didn't show up and we know that D. Forbes continues not to show up because of medical reasons, and Rory Coveney wasn't there yesterday, nor was, was Richard Collins, but um, it would have been, and Moya Doherty seems to be very central to the toy show, the musical, doesn't she? In the sense that there seemed to have been a very small group that were controlling all of the shots and were driving on, even though they possibly knew that this was a train wreck waiting to happen.
6: And they think about it, like, just procedures, and like, I'm involved in, in community groups and youth group groups and, and any organisation, your procedures, how things are happening, right? And what was revealed yesterday was these people went away behind closed doors without talking to the board, without talking to other senior management and made these decisions and agreed payments and agreed, like, they went away and launched Toy Show the musical without even having a script in place. Like, what was revealed yesterday was unbelievable mismanagement, uh, behind-the-scenes dealings, and, like, there were people who were there yesterday, and they were making the point that they never knew nothing about this, because a few people, D4, Rory uh, Corby, like, they were asking them, would you believe only 12 tickets were sold in the month of July before this law, and they never told anyone? I don't I don't know um, how much,
2: say, for instance, Rory Coveney would have got, but he was director of strategy, front and centre behind Toy Show, the musical. If the papers this morning, and there's a headline saying, hand back your 450 grand to Brid O'Keefe," do you think that she should hand it back? Do you think that Rory Coveney should also hand back whatever he got? Or even Richard Collins, the chief financial officer? What are your thoughts on that?
6: Well, my thoughts, are, my thoughts are, if they resigned, they should hand back the money. Like, if you resign from something, you might resign because uh, you're going to another job or because you, you you have enough. But they resigned under a scandal. Like, people must remember, there was 2.2 million euros lost in the their late, late show. 2.2 million. Like, that's only people's money. And that was lost and. I made a point yesterday at the meeting to tell them that the 13,000 people who hadn't paid the license fee the year before was equivalent to 2.1 million. And at the same time, those people being dragged through the courts, people who squandered 2.2 million were getting big gold and parachute payments as they went out the door. Like me, you do that anywhere else, you're not getting that kind of a package. You're not getting any package
2: so what, happen- what happens next with the Eroctus committee um, I did notice yesterday that uh, there's still a call for D Forbes to come and talk at some stage for Moya Doherty to come back in and answer the questions on Toy Show the musical um, is that ever going to happen that you actually will get to ask D Forbes because she would be front and centre in all of these stories
6: yeah, but I think you now we've gotten as much information as we can from the current group and the current board and Kevin Backhurst. But you see, the problem was the people who were there at the time who made all these decisions, D. Ford, Rory Coveney, Richard Collins and Maria Darcy, they need to come in now and be honest and tell people, tell the people, because at the end of the day, this is public money and people should know what happened. But yes, yes. RTE will get more
2: taxpayers' money. There's more money set aside, something in the region of 40 million. They also have the licence fee money. I know that that's somewhat beleaguered at the moment, but they also have advertising and sponsorship. And you guys um, want the licence fee to be abolished, to give RTE everything they need on an annual basis um, with really no accountability. Why would you want to do that? That will just make them more arrogant and more lazy than ever before um, and you're no, giving actually, you know, like, actually, they, they need to earn and work for their crust Tommy
6: it will need actually our proposal and one of the main parts of it was that the controller that RT would have to answer to the controller General, and that they'd have to be scrutinised or payments by the public accounts committee and that they would have to be there and without doing that they wouldn't get the money so what we're trying to do now is put the oversight and the responsibility in on top of our team. But what
2: Yes, but it would see, involve no license fee. You're saying it would be
6: all yes. paid for by the state, yeah? But at this moment in time, the state is paying 57 million to TEGAR, and they pay 69 million for people who get the household package. So at this moment in time, the state is paying 124 million anyway, or 126 million, and on top of that are paying 40 million to shortfall from last year, and they think about it, Neil. A lot of people find that 160 of us, uh, like a lot of people, are really struggling with the. No, no, I understand.
2: I understand. I understand that. Like, I, I know that. Um But my point is, you would give them everything they need on an annual basis, but still allow them to have advertising, still allow them to have sponsorship, still allow them to do other profit-making ventures. Are they public sector broadcasters or commercial broadcasters? Because they seem to me to be both. Well, you see,
6: they're both, Neil. But what we would do, we would set up... There was a report commissioned by the previous government called the the Future of Media Commission. And in that, almost 300-page report they recommend a new media fund be set up. Like, I, I, I want you now this morning. This is public service broadcasting, what you're doing today. And what we're looking to do is not just for RT or TGC, for local radio stations like yourself who are bringing forward content about what's happening locally, nationally and globally. Like, you should receive funding and under our model uh, any company that would do public sector broadcasting could apply to this new fund. And also then just a a a board, set a poll. I know, I know. I know. Your job would be to set the figures, deal with the money. But this, but, is, uh, hang on, this is
2: 2024. Government. Surely, at this time, at this stage, RTE should be able to sink or swim on its own merit. Propping it up for all these years has resulted in the scandals and the farce and the Muppet shows that we've seen and the, and the flops and the arrogance and the money wasting. So that's got to stop. And if you just continue giving them money or pumping money into them, that's gonna that's not gonna change anything.
6: Well you see under all new system, Neil, this would ten years would be gone. We'd have Commissioner Man who would work out every year how much RT and all the other stations would get and that would be spread over over four years and then what would happen is any group or, or any show or any news channel who provides public sector content could apply for funding so the years of RT having a blank check would be done and also what would happen okay. is on the law proposal the commission and the Arsenal general would be they would have to answer to them
2: okay you want an amnesty on people who haven't paid their television license is that right yes so anybody that well, hasn't well, paid you're saying should not be prosecuted the licence fee should be abolished, an amnesty for those who haven't paid it. But what about those who have? Are you intending to give them money back?
6: What we're saying is, if we were to do it right now, it would come in for 2024. And that's what uh, was recommended by the Commission. But the other thing, Neil, taking the cost that's spent every year, just just talking... I I know that. that. No, (laughs) but you would be rewarding those
2: you would be rewarding those that held out and didn't pay the licence fee by giving them an amnesty against prosecution and abolishing the licence fee if you were in power right now?
6: Well, I paid my licence fee legal, right? But the one thing we can do is finish in. If we do this, no one else will ever have to pay the license fee. And the other thing, Dean, when they abolished the water charges in 2017, they gave an amnesty to everyone. So all we're looking to do is do what we did with the water charges, get rid of the charge, uh, don't bring any more people to court. Dean, you could technically have 250, of people brought to court this year. That's, that's unbelievable is that what people want right. is that what this government wants to do I and mean, the last point I would say is I believe the the father, the Fianna are going to bring in the household chairs to replace the TV licence after the local elections that's why they're not making the decision now they'll wait until after the election let's see what happens uh, bring that
2: on text 0868104106 thanks to Tommy Goulds. your thoughts are welcome pick up the phone 0818104106 and we're back After ten. The
0: Neil Brenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters.
2: Uh, As D Forbes and her cohorts are not held to account, why should Joe Public continue to be held to account by paying the television license? Do not pay it. This is Father Ted government and it's ridiculous. Only something like this would happen in Ireland. Well, a lot of it is to do with like lack of accountability. All these little subgroups doing their own thing. Uh, you know, uh, like working in isolation. Two or three different people making really important decisions. Others claiming to know nothing about it, nothing to do with me. Uh, it's time now to send in the fraud squad to RTE, and at the same time, TG Cahir. I know you won't agree because your pals don't want us speaking the king's English. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, nothing changes in this country as a semi-state body RTE do what they wish with taxpayers' money in regards to the top names, and they walk away with millions and refuse to answer questions. But woe and behold the ordinary person who doesn't pay their licence fee, it is sickening, says Anthony. Keep those texts coming, text 0868104106. Remember, Toy Show, the musical, did actually run. It premiered at the convention centre, and there was an official opening on the 10th of December. It was all over by the 31st, and then months later, of course, Uh, we found out that we were almost two and a half million in the hole for something that couldn't sell tickets but yet people drove on there was huge advertising massive advertising Amounts of advertising by RT, not just on RT, radio and television, but newspapers, social media, all sorts of things. Uh, and I couldn't help but wonder if all of that advertising was just trying uh, to uh, bring back to life a dead or a lame duck. That was one of the points, actually, that Christopher O'Sullivan, the uh, Fianna Fáil TD for South uh, West Cork, was making yesterday. Uh, that and a lot more besides. He joins me uh, by phone. Just, just a couple of different topics I wanted to ask him about because he was part of the Oireachtas Committee yesterday. Uh, Christopher, good morning hey Neil, how are you uh, So that was one aspect yesterday. Um, as you as you um, as you went back and forth with uh, Kevin Backhurst, but the update this morning now, even in the doll is for Brida O'Keefe to hand back the four hundred and fifty thousand golden handshake. Are, are you amongst those who think she should pay that back?
8: Yeah, I'm just hearing that from uh, Mr. Catherine Martin as well. Has has uh, also suggested that uh, it's not a legal requirement for her to pay it back, but it's an extraordinary amount Neil. it's an extraordinary amount and and you know my understanding um of um when someone resigns that they essentially get the paid leave or they they get what what what's owed to them but an extraordinary figure like 450,000 which i think i was there yesterday when uh, kevin backhurst surprisingly revealed that figure uh, initially he he was reluctant he he, he was kind of um it in in um he couldn't reveal it for legal reasons, and then literally thirty seconds later, he 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 uh, shared that amount with us. And there was a, a an audible gasp within the committee room when he he mentioned the figure four hundred fifty thousand. So it's quite a lot. Look, I, I think there is a moral obligation on Brito O'Keefe to hand back at least you know a, a good chunk of that money, and um, for an organisation that's supposed to be uh, cash strapped, for an organisation that's had to you know get bailed out by the government to the tune of fifty five million over the last 12 months, uh, I think um, it all helps. Uh, and, and certainly, I mean, I don't think anybody who was listening last night, or yesterday, I should say, could justify that type of a, of a um, payout. And, and furthermore, you know, what um, Kevin Backers wasn't into, wasn't willing to reveal to me yesterday is that we we're pretty sure that there was exit packages also arranged for Richard Collins, who was the former CFO as well, and Rory Coveney. Okay. So why
2: didn't he reveal the, those uh, if he did reveal um, the the payout to uh, Brito O'Keefe,
8: I think, if I remember correctly, his um, excuse was that the figure um, that was disclosed to Brito O'Keefe that there was a, a, a figure of 400,000 kind of in the public domain already. Um, obviously, there were some arrangements when they agreed the exit packages with Mr Coveney and Mr Collins that they wouldn't be and disclosed
2: but why wouldn't they be disclosed else? it's public money
8: exactly and and my my the point I was trying to make to Kevin Backhurst yesterday was that this look I don't know about you Neil but I'm sure your listeners are absolutely fed up of this saga you know it's drawn out it's protracted we prefer to be discussing other items and other things but it's going to be further protracted. We have two more reports uh, to come in the coming weeks, one into the culture and governance and one into these the way contractors uh, were treated within RT. There to you go, at the very same mentality. time,
2: you had hundreds and hundreds of contractors in RT who were working as full-timers but wouldn't get the status of full-time employees. They couldn't get a car loan. They couldn't get a mortgage. They were treated like 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 pariahs and outcasts within an organisation they were working for. While they had this 450 grand... Is that even a legal p- to pay somebody's tax on it? it? Like, is that even legal?
8: I think in, in, there, there was a, a barrage of question towards the, the director of HRS the Mercure, in terms of the legalities uh, of this. I think there are some uh, issues with revenue, but uh, I, I imagine that this will all emerge in the upcoming report, which delves directly into how these contractors were. We're dealt with. So, but the so four hundred fifty thousand is, is, is worth no. But hang on like a second. That.
2: The four hundred and fifty thousand is worth an awful lot more as a golden handshake to somebody, if the person who's given it to you is paying the tax on it for you.
8: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the 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 the, the discrepancy between how contract workers were treated and how those within the organisations who were able to uh, ben- who were able to benefit from the benefits who were able to, um, you know, they they had secure jobs. They were able to. To take out loans, they were able to, you know, there, there was cars in certain instances. I think the 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 discrepancy and the difference between how they were treated compared to how contracts were treated is is going to be the next, I suppose, chapter in this saga, and it's going to, I think, there's going to be further revelations. But can you? And that's why we were trying to we were trying to get this information from Emer Cusick and and Kevin Backers yesterday because it, it it is like pulling teeth. It's like, um, it is drawn out protracted process, and there's going to be further sessions with uh, the board of RT with the executive board of RT with the executive team where all of this is going to have to be discussed
9: Can
2: you imagine what people who are an average salary working hard and those that do work hard in RT how they must feel when they hear about all of this?
8: Yeah I, I, I don't have to imagine because we're talking to them you news know, and we, we you know we meet them around the hallways of, of Leinster House on a regular basis um, we, we meet them when we go to studio uh, in RT. So we are talking to them. We know what they're saying. There's frustration. um, The uh, text messages were flying uh, yesterday as soon as Mr. Backhurst revealed that figure of 450,000. You know, the heart sunk. And and the fact that the morale is at an all-time low. I mean, I think there is an element of hope in Kevin Backhurst in terms of this new direction and this uh, uh, new corporate governance that he's trying to introduce into the organisation. There's a hope that this will work but at the same time I, I question how possible that is when you have you know, key figures who were on the executive board at the time of things like the payments to Mr. Tobley, things like Toy Show the Musical, things like the the, the Barter account in, in Adrian Lynch who, who, who's the former um, Deputy Director General and obviously Ian McKusack who like, I mean, this is the startling thing about it all, Neil, is that in in order for a, an exit package to be considered, it has to be seen to be given a saving, OK? So h- how could Emer have signed off on a payout of €450,000, OK? And also um, be aware that that position was going to be filled externally. What so did I, she... It, it, yeah, it, so it, there
2: was an outed cost because somebody had to be hired. But what did she say... Because her position is kind of rocky, I would think, now because of this. But what did she say to that? Was it that she should have pushed back more or what?
8: She eventually said she was told what she was instructed to do, which I think, I mean, fair enough. I mean, there are figures who didn't attend yesterday, who clearly their fingerprints are all, all over this. The, the former DG, uh, the former chair of the board, Moya Daugherty, uh, Roy Coveney, obviously, who was in charge of the Toy Show, the musical, and, and, and Richard Collins, the former CFO. And certainly, they, I mean, it, 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 there are key players who probably take more of the blame than others, but certainly there were also people there at, the, at yesterday, like Ian McCusick who have to own up and take responsibility for their lack of questioning um, lack of just basic due diligence, Neil, that, you know, you, when, when a figure forward, it, it was the biggest amount she had ever signed off on for a, a an exit package, 450000 and she knew then the role was filled externally. You're supposed to get an 80% saving. So she said, in hindsight, she should have pushed back more. I think, you know, that, that, that doesn't really wash me, and I think if Kevin Backhurst really wants to start afresh and start anew, then you don't reappoint the auditor's delight in this in, instance. You, you reappoint new auditors, and also you kind of do a complete refreshing job on your uh, transitional executive board so you can start to rebuild confidence. Okay, so
2: were these resignations in the true sense of the word or is that somewhere you can even go? Um, uh, Kevin Backhurst made some points yesterday because I was watching it along the lines of, you know, uh, like if somebody's going and say, for instance, it's not of their own wish to go, you have to structure an exit package for them. Is, Is that my understanding of it?
7: I I can
8: listen. I I understand what you're saying. Obviously, you've 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 got privilege when you're in the Iraqis but okay. I can certainly okay. um I c I I can certainly make assumptions, and I can certainly kind of read between lines. And I, I think what Mr. Backer seemed to me to be saying was that um these are the kind of packages that you have to offer in order to essentially um you know. Move build on. a new team put it that way yeah. exactly yeah. build a new okay. team if you can okay. read between the and lines do you ever
2: expect D Forbes to come before the committee because she was DG and certainly would have had fingerprints on all of this surely
8: uh, I suppose this has gone on for nine months now Neil and, and we haven't had the, the, the privilege yet uh, so no I, I suppose I don't and, and like there is you know, they, we often get asked about the power of compellability, um, which, under extreme extreme circumstances, I think the uh, the Public Accounts Committee, which I'm not on, perhaps has the power of compellability. What, um, what does that mean? How do you force somebody? It, 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 essentially, yeah, I mean that that that's it. That's that, if if you feel that the uh, the the situation or the uh, issue is of um, real public importance, that apparently there is some mechanisms okay. whereby public council committee can't compel someone to come in I, I don't know the circumstances and they don't know whether this would uh, fit into that bracket Yeah, it look it, it would and, and uh, look uh, the chair neil Smith I had a public plea yesterday at the very end of the session pleading for, for um, these key characters to come in and, and appear I, I don't know it would make our job so much easier because we're trying we're having to I suppose squeeze information out of people who are probably on the periphery of the decision making it would make things a lot easier if um, if those key characters had come in Okay, we could shed light on everything Okay,
2: so but RTE still remains fit for purpose does it in spite of the license fee government bailouts another 40 million this year advertising um, commercial sponsorship They've got their finger in all sorts of profitable pies. They're still fit for purpose. I mean, that doesn't happen in the sector that I work in. Commercial radio is not operating like that. If we don't make mm-hmm. profits, we're gone. If Virgin Media doesn't make profits, they're gone. If the newspapers don't make profits, they're gone. How is that fair?
8: Yeah, it's it's not fair. You've you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And um, I suppose the the, the the example I gave, I kind of give it in jest, but it does hit the hit home the point. this take Toy Show the Musical it was a runaway train in July we had the figures yesterday and you just mentioned the advertising the incessant advertising on an hourly basis across all platforms for this Toy Show the Musical first of all that should have been the red flag to say that this is in trouble but we were showing the figures in July they sold 72 tickets as Deputy Brendan Griffin said to me he'd have sold more if he went down on Grafton Street with a sandwich board so there's there was like a clear indication that there wasn't even a basic due diligence uh, taken. So, for example, the example I give: if if Virgin Media decided to go with Love Island the Musical, which is a very popular show, they'd have to go back to the CEO of Virgin Media or to, to to the to the to the management and say, management would have to question how 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 are you um, justifying that we take this risk? How are you justifying that we put two million euro into the show? You'd have to come back with robust yeah. Proven projections. Yeah. This didn't happen here. Yeah. I think the CFO kind of they, 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 there was there was figures made up um, because they're they, they arrogant. The because board. they they they, they there, get they get there, given money. Arrogance. Yeah, I don't think by the way that the that they that the board should get away scot free here either. Listen, I know it's 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 a it's a partially paid job. It's essentially voluntary. Some of them have waived their fees. But when you're on the board, you're there for a reason. And it's, it is an oversight board. You know, I've heard the comments saying, oh, there should have been more oversight. That's all a board should do is is, is basic oversight. So I can understand if you're okay. in the private sector, if you're in private media, and you're looking at the substantial figures that RT get, well, you'd be frustrated and, and annoyed, you know?
2: OK, can I just come back to where I began? And this is just from the door this morning. The media minister saying the €450,000 should be paid back. Uh, you're a sitting Fianna Fáil TD for the County of Cork. Do you believe she should pay it back? It's a yes or no? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Much obliged, Christopher Sullivan, Funeral TD, Cork Southwest. Text 0868-104-106. Back after the break.
3: Text or WhatsApp Neil now 0868-104-106.
0: The Neil Prendiville Show on Red
2: FM. Uh, just on what happened this morning. You had uh, Catherine Martin uh, in the doll speaking in the doll this morning regarding that four hundred and fifty grand. It's just a very short clip. Of course, the the, the question is as to whether or not uh, the money should be paid back and if. She has to. Well, she doesn't have to, I suppose, but if, if she does, then that also raises the question, should the others uh, pay back their exit packages as well? We don't know how much they are. There could be uh, similar amounts for all I know. I, I don't know because there was talk last year, of course, uh, that uh, Ryan Toberty should have paid back the 150 grand um, that's probably not as connected to what happened yesterday though but this is what this is what Catherine Martin said a few minutes ago
1: what I, I would say in relation to the exit package that was revealed yesterday there may not be a, a legal uh, obligation um, on the former CFO but uh, I would concur that there is a, a moral obligation
2: mm, so 450 grand plus the tax paid by RTE so the taxpayer gives the 450 grand and also pays tax on it. Interestingly, you look, at, uh, you look at different state bodies. The state training agency, FOSS, was pretty rocked over the last uh, 24, 36 hours with the uh, director general of FOSS, uh, Roddy Malloy, resigning. Uh, after days of controversy surrounding the spending of more than six hundred and sorry, this is back in two thousand eight, I should say, over the controversial spending of more than six hundred and forty grand by the state training agency for transatlantic travel over a four-year period. So that's two thousand and eight, uh, and of course that was false. And here we are now in twenty twenty-three and into this year, twenty twenty-four, and we find all sorts of similarities with uh, RTE. So the point that very little or nothing was actually learned by it you know then you have people who are getting um, you know uh, red letters and people knocking on the door and ringing the bell uh, for the television license fee and that's why ultimately at the weekend I gave up the ghost and just paid the damn thing hating to do it as I do but I still paid it because I don't want a summons I just couldn't be arsed with regards to having to go into court because you won't be able to defend it in court, You're going to court you go into court you can't not pay it the judge won't say okay listen you don't morally have to pay it but Frick got one apparently Frick good morning How's it going? I'm good. So you received a summons for non-payment of your television licence fee when?
10: Yeah, I, I got it there in the first post, reading really in the new year I got it, but it's gone back through the 20th. It was due the 20th of August, but, like, I was saying that the shame is that like the like and the household benefits scheme. just when you reach up the age that you're entitled to this. I didn't know all about this until I got it, and then I got it. Thing back to the children, take the free license, but then I've gone purely. When what, what age do you to become f- entitled to a free television license? I think it's sixty six. I think, and circumstances, no, might be even under sixty eight. You know what I mean? Okay. But I and I think I just have to get mine after the date, if I'm not mistaken. So they're saying it's gone back to twenty twenty. So that's four years ago. Like oh,
2: you mean there? They, you got a summons for twenty
10: twenty? Yeah. All right, so they go back it's under that far. the Penalty day, fifteen of July. Well, they must
2: be with me or something, you anyway. Okay, so it's yeah, a, it's a legitimate, it's a little bit, it's a legitimate summons then for not paying.
10: Yeah, exactly. Okay. I have had to pay in court on the 29th of February. All right, and um, are, are you going to? That's only like a fortnight away. No, I not paying that. Are you going to court well, though? I have to listen. I'll go in here and show me fair, and I did say because if you don't you'll be arrested but that doesn't matter there yeah, would be a bench warrant would there? You'll be arrested there would be a bench warrant just reading there a bench warrant that it's could it all depends what the outcome is like if 500 could be recovered somewhere else and then you could be a maximum of 100 hours community service up to 240 hours community service if you don't pay up
2: Okay so are you going to you are going to attend are you going to put up a defence
10: yeah, I will really put up in defence I tell that when the rest of them cough up enough to you i pay up then as well Okay and the judge will probably morning, say After this morning was a big after this morning was a big thing Neil again you know what I mean Yeah it but seems the, if you make games <coughs> game or something in this country you get a few bombs
2: Yeah but the judge will say that's not for this
10: court Well if it's not for this court why did it take me enough for a
2: licence tell him that But the judge is going to I mean, find you guilty he probably is. So, what do you do? That will probably. you pay the fine? Will you do the community no. service?
10: I probably I prefer to do community service, but I, I wouldn't worry me. i dragged in and dragged in.
2: Okay, so
10: you know you are going it's to be crazy. fine. It's crazy. What did I know? No, be fine. No, but it's crazy setup. You know what I mean? Listen to people that yeah, I'm on about it. Like you know what I mean? be you? Like your one more to the Aractus committee. Like if we, as I said earlier, like if I was supposed to appear in court and you went to court for the Eid right before all this happened or failed to turn up to collect your door, you wouldn't get your door. But I like d- can get away with all this money.
2: Right. I am, I, um, I vaguely remember a judge up the country back in the last year throwing out a load of um um non payment of licence fee. Uh, court issues. I didn't dream that. Do you? Do you recall it? I think he, he just. Oh, it's through
10: the mall. He threw over the but you moved more over that as well, didn't he? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? them but I'm not paying it. Like maybe somebody to left me being, but why not? Okay, okay.
2: But if they pay, if they but fine you, will you pay the fine? No. Okay. Okay. All right. And can I can we I mean, talk? Can I, I guess, what? can I talk to you no, after? You can can, talk can talk I talk to that? you after your court appearance?
10: you kind of got meanwhile why I have video why I was talking when you were on about Valentine's Day yesterday yeah we right? will talking about yeah. it again later yeah love yeah well we'll have talking to me ex-wife and she reminded me that she bailed out Valentine's <laughs> Day yeah
2: <laughs> that's the day she called it a, That's the day she called it a day. Right, after right. Look after yourself, Frick. Thanks for taking the call. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Hi, Neil. The maximum redundancy is two years' salary. Redundancy equals no replacement for that job. Backhurst is after inheriting a secret organization. If he doesn't know what's been going on and is still going on, then I don't know what's. I think he kind of. I think he knows historically what has been going on. I uh, got this. A notice of summons as they stopped paying in September over all of this bull in RTE. So somebody here got a summons. I rang yesterday and I have until the end of March to pay the 160 euro. I was going, it, I was doing it by direct debit as they honestly couldn't afford the total in one. They wouldn't let me reset up the direct debit. I can do that in September but I have five weeks to come up with 160 euro or I've been told I'll be fined a thousand euro. Tell Tommy Gould that people got the water charges money that they had paid, returned. Um, He did say that, actually, in part of the conversation with me. Uh, Why does RTE need government funding when they already have advertising? Why do they need both? You have the likes of Virgin Media who work very hard for what they put out. After all, most of RTE's content is outsourced and paid for anyway. Why are people still paying the television license? There is fraud being committed in the company itself. Cabs should be brought into the company with the receiver. Yes, and some are suggesting maybe uh, the Garda Shaqana. If ex-RTE staff won't appear before an Oireachta's hearing, stop their pension. Uh, I bet their health will miraculously... Well, you you can't do that either because that is another statutory entitlement and you can't touch one while investigating the other. That wouldn't work. Um, If I read what Tommy Gould says correctly, the Sinn Féin policy would be to penalise law-abiding citizens for paying the television licence and give an amnesty to those that don't. That's poorly considered policy. Uh, from Sinn Féin. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Yes, indeed. A Dublin judge presiding over television license prosecutions slammed RTE for what he described as elitism, having godlike personalities and freeloaders, while defendants were crippled with the cost of living. There was a special weekly sitting for cases brought by and post against people who hadn't paid. 159 prosecutions. But before hearing the cases, Judge Anthony Halpin, Halpin um, went on a preamble Um, with regards to the uh, disgusting and appalling behaviour within RTE that's a very long article here where does it say what happened Um, something rotten in the state of Denmark and he said accordingly it would be remiss of him not to make reference to the recent revelations and exposures about those who were recipients of the licence fee uh, sorry about that I can't find anything in that article as to whether he threw out the cases or not but he certainly had a go at them um, Do you did you read that Kevin did yeah, you find that part
8: sorry I know it is a very long article that article
2: says nothing about throwing them
8: out no no he didn't throw them out he was very 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 kind of okay, critical but was there a court and a
2: judge who did throw
8: them out I don't think there was this is, the, this is what reminds in my head but it, he definitely Definitely. what he did was he um, Judge Anthony Halpin he actually limited all the fines to 150 euro for those no-shows so instead of the usual I can't even figure out what the fine is now it's all very obvious so
2: no judge has thrown it out
8: not as far as not as far as I know no judge has thrown out any uh, TV licence cases yet but certainly um, some of them are beginning to I suppose change their attitudes towards um, those those court summons okay know.
2: thanks for that text 0868104106 pick up the phone on 0868104106 back after the break
3: the Neil Prendival show on Red FM
0: conversation that matters.
2: I had a book there last week uh, called 100 to 1. Uh, it's a book, uh, The Devastating True Story of a Compulsive Gambler. It's written by Pat Sheedy. He had uh, 100 convictions and uh, figures that he lost. Well, some, some gamblers do and some gamblers don't put a figure on the amount that they lost during their gambling lives. But he puts the figure at maybe a million or just over uh, a million. Now, there were 100 convictions, incidentally. They weren't all uh, for fraud and theft and all that kind of thing, but he spent ultimately then nearly three years behind bars in total um, in prison. Uh, and uh, he's very open and honest in the book. He, he you know, because of his gambling edition over the years, life actually his life, to be honest with you, was 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 a, was, a, was a, like a, like a runaway train heading for a wreck, and it wrecked more than once on him. He stole checks. He uh, took. He set up bank accounts for um, overdrafts and then drained the overdrafts. He stole charity money. He conned electrical companies. He conned Apple, people out of phones and iPads and stuff and conned the public by setting up uh, a scam for World Cup rugby tickets that didn't, didn't exist it's un, it's unbelievably powerful the book and it's very open and very honest and very detailed uh, about his life and Pat Sheedy joins me by phone, Pat good morning good morning uh, it's, an, it's an incredible story, it's very open and, and, and very honest and uh, you pretty much have to ask the question, having done all of that God only knows it can't have been worth it. Um, how's life now?
11: Now it's good, you know. Um, I was released from prison in August of last year, and I've been keeping myself busy since.
2: You know, when you when you look when you look at your life, and, and I'll I'll talk about the constant the devastating consequences of of gambling in a moment. But you you talk vividly about your about your young life, and and the, you know the the first time. Uh, that you actually went into a bookie's office. Talk to us a little about that as to how old you were because we were going for your dad and you, you actually doctored your dad's bet, wasn't that it?
11: Yeah, he, he would have given me 30 pence to do a bet for him and, and back in that day, that would have been in the early 80s um, bets were written out on a, a docket which would have had a sheet of carbon paper underneath it and you would have been given the receipt and I just had no pocket money left or something that morning and I thought, here's a way of doing this. So I just actually wrote the bet out out for 10 pence instead of 30, put on the bet and then altered the amount on the carbon ticket to 30 pence. So when I brought the ticket home to him, he thought that it was 30 pence and he was happy until a few hours later when the bets won and he found out that it was only 10 when he got a third of his winnings instead of the whole
2: amount So you were 12 at the time but you talk yeah. very detailed about how well you, how you felt inside in the bookies as, as a 12 year old it it clearly wouldn't be acceptable now in 2024 but back then you decided ah yes this is for me is that the case?
11: It was and it, was, it wasn't It was just the gambling it was a combination of things in, in relation to my self esteem I suppose I had a lot of self esteem issues at a very young age in relation to my appearance and Other things, and I guess I felt I just never really quite fit in. And in there, I did feel like I fitted in. I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't slagged off, I wasn't laughed at, I wasn't being kind of bullied by my friends and that kind of thing. And I just felt, I felt like I just seamlessly kind of fitted in there. And then the gambling that went with it. Uh, I had a big win when I was fifteen, and you know that was really that was life altering you know, I, I genuinely believed that I was invincible back then Okay, and what does a
2: 15 year old do with uh, when you say big win is that like hundreds or thousands or as an ex gambler so, do you talk about well, numbers
11: it was uh, generally yes and no I, I suppose I, I did a 50 pence bet in context it was an accumulator with 4 horses in it and all 4 won and their prices multiply and add up and it came to 100 just over 100 to 1 and uh yeah so i got the bones of 51 pounds back which in 1984 yeah okay. if you look back then i think it was like 20 pence for a pint so you can you yeah. can do the maths so so what does
2: what does a 15 year old do with that
11: money i i suppose i i tried to hide it as much as i could i didn't quite know what to do with it at the time um ultimately i ended up just gambling it all over a period of time you know i, I wouldn't have <laughs> I would have been very secretive about
2: it, and 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 continued to gamble through your teens and what have you, and then it, one of yeah. the, and, and into your twenties. Then that's when the criminality started. But when when you look at the whole sum of the parts, um, you 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 would you would have been incredibly successful in your life without the scams and without the fraud and without the criminality because you had that mindset anyway. Do, do you ever look yep. back on
11: that and regret that? I used to, um, but I I, I firmly believe that if you keep looking back and keep regretting things that happened in the past, you'll never move forward, you know, and I used to do that a lot. I used to kind of dwell on my past and go, what if, what if, what if. Um, I don't do that anymore. I can't afford to do it anymore. And my my mental state is is a far better place as a result of the way I, I now think as opposed to the way I used to think.
2: But you know what all of the, the, the criminality, the aspects of it and, and the court appearances and and there were many yeah. of many times when the guards would yeah. call to the house and your ma'am, incidentally, she bailed you out so many times, didn't she?
11: Yeah, and my dad, yeah. And your both, dad. Both yeah. my parents. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So that must dwell on you as well. But all of the things that you did, surely, you, you know, the blank cheque or setting up all of the different bank accounts or... You know, ra- supposedly raising money for a charity and taking a cut out of yourself—you
11: yeah. must have known you were going to be caught for all of those. I did, and I—I I think that was part of the whole illness that I had going on at the time. And, you know, I mean, I mean it's—it's mental—it's—it's it's mental illness. You know, that's what it is at the end of the day. It's—it's it's mental illness. Gambling is a mental illness, um, as well as a disease. And I did things. On spur of the moment, knowing I probably get caught, and deep down wanting to get caught because I thought that you know I always had an intention. Hard and as twisted logic as this may seem, I always had an intention to repay yeah. people that I took from. How you I felt
2: that there hated. was going to be the big win that would repay everybody. the next win? Yeah, of course.
11: Yeah, like my my attitude would have been if I if I can con you into giving me a loan of fifty quid or giving me fifty quid. I'll use that 50 quid to turn it into 200 and I'll be straight back to you 20 minutes later to give you back a 50. That was always my my logic, which was insane, I know, but it it, it was just part of the makeup of what
2: compulsive gambling did to me um, There are many different stories about it, one of them that sticks in my mind from, from reading the book was of course because um, there were periods when you had stopped gambling, sometimes for long periods of time and then slow yeah. was, it, was it a case that you would think I have a handle on this, I can control it the, the story of you usually going once a year with your pals to uh, a Welsh rugby game, can, can you tell us that one That's that, that particular story the, the rugby game in Wales
11: yeah, uh, that was mid-2000s, mid two thousand mid mid two thousands I think, and I wasn't back gambling very long. My friends and I would go to the Ireland Wales game in Cardiff religiously every two years. We'd go on a bus and a boat, and it was a great crack. It was just a big long weekend. Um, this weekend, uh, this this time in particular, I decided that I was working in Dublin and I was under a bit of pressure work so I said I'd drive myself and meet them meet them down there. So, I did that, and I knew that the gambling was very heavy in my mind then, so I made a contingency plan that I was only going to bring three hundred euros or three hundred pounds, whatever it was at the time for my four days that would cover my few pints of my food and there'd be no gambling, and that everything would be perfect. deliberately left my visa cards at home, jumped in the car, and you know drove, and when I got to the other side, I was making my way down through Wales and I stopped off in a bookies, and I just looked at it and looked at it, and it just got got to me there and then. And I went in, and I placed a couple of bets, and they won. So I think I was up maybe one hundred and seventy-five pounds in profit. And I ran back out to the car, to light of with myself that I had beaten them. You're actually up. Two, I,
2: you're actually up two hundred and seventy pounds.
11: Yeah, well, I can't quite remember yeah. at the time, but I I ran out the door and. My my logic then was, great, I'm up. But then the minute I sat in the car, the mind started to go again. So I took the the winnings, I took the profit out, put it in my pocket, left my wallet in the car, and went back in, because I figured I was doing no harm here because I'm only playing with their money. Very quickly that went. I went back to the car, same thing, I took the 300 that I brought with me, I blew that. I got into the car, oh God, what am I going to do here? And I started concocting schemes and stories in my head. And then I remembered that I actually had some euros in the glove box of the car. I took those, I changed them in a foreign exchange or a post office, and I went in and I blew that all within the space of an hour. And I sat in the car, literally penniless, and now I had no backup because I had no visa card with me or I had no ATM card with me or anything like that. And I was late when I got to the hotel in Wales when I got there the lads were all sitting at the bar I went in and pretended to be all upset that I had an accident on the way down that someone broke into my car and stole my wallet the lads all went oh god you poor thing all believe me all put their hands in their pockets and financed the rest of my weekend and, and you know Do you feel any shame? Oh but, uh, god yeah. yeah 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 like I I you have to you know you have to but like I i, I it was just all part of the whole yeah, yeah. addiction and an addiction that owned me lock, stock and smoke and barrel it owned me and I was completely complete slave to it, and always will be, I suppose. Yeah. Like you, so you had
2: very good pals and buddies. Uh, subsequently, of course, very. You still do. I mean, like, yeah. h- how are you with your pals and your buddies? Uh, because there was quite an amount of coverage of all of the events that led to all of the different court appearances. You must have been. You must. Were you kind of an outcast in, in the county Limerick?
11: I went through a period, a long, long, long period, where I thought I had hundreds of friends. I thought I was very popular with loads of people because I would have been seen to be the man around town. I had the flash car, the flimsy suits, the big job in Dublin. I'd go to match I, I used to think that everyone was my friend and I used to think that everybody loved me. I, I today can count my friends. I have five or six of the best friends I've ever had and they've been my friends for the last 35, 36 years. They've known me when things were bad. I they, they know me inside out, they know me better than I know myself, and I can't put any value on what I owe them because without them and without the support that I get from them, I really, I don't know how dark my, my, my life would have become, you know? Yeah. I, they knew things about me that I didn't even know myself, like, you know, and, and when I talk to them about it subsequently, they just look at me and they say, sure, we knew all the time. We knew all the time. They were always there. Yeah. 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 They were always there for me. They always had my back. And I embarrassed them a hell of a lot over the years.
2: You were like 12 years, maybe 13 years stopped. Why, why, did, you, why did you start again? Is it like that? Because I have it under control now? Or is it, is it like, you, you talk about alcohol abuse can kill you, drug abuse can kill you, whereas gambling has absolutely no limits. A, a bookie's is like a magnetic force that, that pulls you in. You always feel you can control it.
11: Yeah, yeah. And I would have been an extremely arrogant person, I suppose, for want of a better word, I used to think that I was able to control things, that I was able to assess things, that I was able to rationalize things. And in my head, I suppose, maybe after 10 years of that 12, I started to think about it again every now and again. And I started cutting back on the amount of gamblers and honest meetings I used to go to. And I started to rationalize it in my head that, you know what, maybe I can control it this time. I've been so long away from it. Um, couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah, you know, yeah, Could not have been and of course,
2: continued to lose heavily because not only would you have bookies, you know, as you got further into your addiction, but you can gamble now twenty four seven on a smartphone, can't you? I mean, y- you were gambling on sports all over the world. You were gambling well, on
11: that was the that was the real game changer for me. Was when I went back gambling. Uh, like I had a second period after treatment from twenty ten to around twenty fifteen. And when I went back gambling in 2015, it was a complete game changer. It was it was horrific. Um, it had escalated. The amounts that I was gambling were much higher. The strokes that I was pulling to get money were bigger. I was completely reckless. I had no consideration for myself at all or anyone else. I was binge eating. I'd ballooned to like 29 and a half stone weight. Yeah. I, I, you know, my, my life was just... Non-existent. I, I was not living, and like you said, I'd be up at three o'clock in the morning in bed with an iPad, a smartphone, and a laptop, all on the go to different bookmakers with accounts that I had gambling on sports all over the world that I knew nothing about, um, just to have that bet, just to have that chance of making the money.
2: And when you would, when you would stop, for instance, and had stopped for periods of time, were you then being bombarded with offers from the gambling companies that you had apps with and accounts with?
11: yeah they would have come um after a while they would have stopped but then they would they would start again and they're ceaseless and relentless and i'm so glad today that there's a gambling regulation regulatory bill in front of the doll at the moment about to be passed that's going to hopefully keep the industry in check because you know it, it isn't regulated at the moment and it doesn't have any controls over its its advertising it doesn't have any controls over how it targets people and there's a lot people, a lot of people out there today that wouldn't be as strong-willed as I am in in certain ways that would find schemes and 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 promotions like this very easy to succumb to. Like th- th- there's ads, there's there's ads running deliberately targeting women to play bingo at home. You know, um, people people mightn't even consider bingo to be gambling. Of course it is. Mm, mm. And you know you you have companies like this with endless budgets. I mean, endless budgets, targeting through fancy, colourful TV ads mm. and promotions and free bets. And put on five and get a hundred free. You know, it's, hum- it's human nature to be attracted to yeah. something like. Yeah, that.
2: yeah. Oh, it's an it's an it's an incredible read. It, it really is because there are periods where you do go into into rehab, and I don't wish to give away too much of the book, but I'm only touching on the surface of it. But you went we went into rehab, but you really didn't want to go to rehab. But I, 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 reading the book, you just did that to get suspended know, sentences, was, just,
11: was it? Yeah, just to get letters from them so I could hand the letters to judges and the judges would say, oh, isn't he great? And it kept me out of, it kept me out of prison. I didn't do things for the right reasons.
2: But you ultimately did, did then go in for a, a fair chunk of time. What was prison right. like? Because it would have been, initially, you were in Leash, I think you were, you were in Limerick yeah. places. What was that like? Was it frightening?
11: Yeah, it was, It was. you know, it, it, it wasn't something, like I said before, it wasn't something that I'd wish on anybody. But it was also somewhere that I knew I was always going to end up. And for me, it provided me with an opportunity to finally do something about my life, especially my physical appearance. Like the reason I was, the only reason I was transferred to Leash from Limerick originally was because I was so fat I couldn't climb the stairs to get my dinner
2: 29 stone I think you um, needed surgery because your legs couldn't carry the weight
11: yeah pretty much pretty much so I had to do something about that I found out I was diabetic I I learned an awful lot about myself in prison um, through education and also through my illness the the, the health situation that I had going on in there and I suppose I figured I had the next three years ahead of me to, to try and do something about it and like I said before, when I do set my mind to something, I can be very stubborn and, and self-minded. And yeah, I, I did. But the education in prison, more or less, is really what got me through it. You know, yeah. I, I discovered I could write. I discovered creative writing classes thanks to a wonderful teacher in Port Leash that I'll never be able to thank you enough. And I did a degree. Um, I was lucky to, to win the Listall Writers Festival award mm-hmm. twice in a row, mm-hmm. Um Mm. And I wrote the book, and I suppose I wrote the book initially for personal reasons. I never had any designs on getting it published or getting it out there or anything like that. Um,
2: Will the book act just, as an extra crutch for you? Because you've, you've been here before, but sadly went back again. Yeah. Do, do, is that the monkey on your shoulder? like, If I write this book, it's out there, it's so public now that I can't fail again. I can't fail a third time.
11: Oh, I can. Believe me, I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and every and every every addict out there can fail any day, at any time. Um, I was of the opinion twice before that I had it beat. I was of the opinion that I was on top of things, and both times I went back out into the bad world, and it just got worse and worse and worse. So for me, I'll never be able to say never again. It just it's just not in my not in my vocabulary anymore, and I'm just living day to day with what I have right now. Is that
2: meetings every day with GA then as well?
11: No, not every day. Um, not every day. But I I would be in contact with members of GA every day. Um, I'm also working with some organisations that are around recovery and prison. You know, I, I work with voluntarily with the Bedford Row Project in Limerick, which is a fantastic organisation that. Looks after families of prisoners and helps them cope with 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 life in prison. So, and I'm working with another organisation called Spare and Nua which yeah. actually works to help prisoners with convictions.
2: Oh man, it employment. was a, like it was a it was a tough, tough road for you. There were there were aspects of your criminality that led to a lot of social media trolling, wasn't there, and, and threats yeah. of violence yeah. and things like the online yeah. world turned yeah. turned turn nasty.
11: Yeah, and you know I. Like I said, human nature is what it is. <clears throat> I have to own what I did, and I have to expect a backlash. You know, and even in this past week, I've got a bit of a backlash, and I'm expecting more of a backlash I with mean,
2: the book. I, is it the public? Yeah. The backlash. Yeah, in sense. And, Why did um, you do? Why did yeah. you rob people? Are you ever going to pay them back or Is it?
11: Pretty much, pretty much. And I have to expect. I have to expect that. You know, I I, I knew that this would be a part of of the whole process. But it is what it is, and and I genuinely believe that the the good that writing the book has done me, I could never put a price on it, and hopefully the good that it'll do anybody with a gambling problem or anybody that knows anybody with a gambling problem. You know, once it does things like that for me, I'm happy. I'm pretty thick-skinned. I can take a bit of criticism.
2: Did I I hear somewhere where you said if if you had a daughter who brought home somebody who was a gambler, you would tell her to walk away from him, is it?
11: Well, if they behave like me, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, you know I mean why why would you want to put anybody through that kind of behavior A gambling will destroy you and destroy you very, very quickly, is that you know, dope? is like, that
2: like related to dopamine, or is it related to adrenaline? is it kind of the same kind of thing like taking
11: bo- yeah it's it's both it's the buzz it's the it's it's the fantasy that you're going to you're gonna make it big, you know like- dr- drinking drinking or Drug-taking, you're doing it for that physical feeling of warmth or safety or whatever the case may be or whatever that gives you. Gambling gives you a different kind of a rush. It gives you a different kind of buzz, but it's, it's far more destructive because you literally will blow every penny you have and other people have in a very, very short space of okay,
2: time. Okay. Okay. Uh, you did lose huge amounts of weight, in fairness to you. So that was another battle that you are continuing to win. I think you lost on 12 yeah. or 13 yeah. Yeah. stone or something like that. But just just finally, there just one story. When you were in Port Leash on your road to recovery, you did ask for, um, through GDPR, for your information file from one of the big. Mm-hmm gambling organisations and that was delivered to the prison for you just just finish up on that because this shows the power of
11: bookies yeah um, I was called down to reception I, I requested the file because I just wanted to for my own curiosity I suppose and, and to help me write in the book I just wanted to see what they had on me and I got called down to a reception and I got handed a box by the prison officer in charge of reception uh, I was expecting an envelope he handed me a storage box and I was going Jesus and I and I picked it up and I was just walking towards the door and he called me back and he said you can come back for the other one when you drop that off. Well, this was all and of the ca- info they had on you is it? Because you, you clicked- would not believe it. They knew they knew where I did my online shopping. They knew what clothes I bought. They knew what size shoes I wore. They knew where I bought Chinese restaurants or what Chinese takeaways, what petrol stations I used to visit. Everything. And that's all by clicking Accept all cookies the minute you go onto these websites, which is the first thing wow. anybody will do to get in there quick. And
2: what advice it's, would it's, you give to to gamblers or families of of gamblers?
11: For families of gamblers, I suppose to to get help for themselves because they're not going to be able to do anything for the addict while he's in while he or she is in the middle of doing what they do. Um, it's important that they protect themselves and that there is organisations out there like Gammonon and there's a lot of counsellors out there today that will help them um, because they're not going to be able to help the gambler until they're fully able to help themselves. And does that rock bottom You have to be rock bottom, do you? Yeah, you do. And again, like I said when I said never again, I like to think that I don't have a, bo- a rock bottom because... When I think I've hit as bad as I can get, I I, I will start to get complacent again. Mm. And if I start to think that prison was as bad as it can get, I might start getting complacent again. Prison was bad for me, very bad, but it's not the worst thing that could have ever happened. Yeah. Me that either.
2: would be family, friends, relationship breakups, health issues, taking people's money, and yeah, yeah I know, I
11: yeah. know, I know. You know, there's know. so much, so much more. Yeah, and it's 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 an insidious insidious disease
2: look after yourself Pat the book is called 100 to 1 100 convictions 1 million euro the devastating true story of a compulsive gambler it's riveting and it's honest Uh, commend you for it I wish you the best of luck going forward Pat thank you for taking the call Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Pat Sheedy, text 0868104106 if you'd wish to share your own thoughts on my conversation with Pat. Bear in mind, Gamblers Anonymous have regular meetings. They've got an online forum, gamblersanonymous.ie. The number is oh one eight seven two double one double three. And then gamblersanonymous.ie also have Gammonon for family support meetings. Again, all of that through gamblersanonymous.ie forward slash meetings. Back after 11. The
0: Neil Prendiville Show on FM. And you can pick Conversation up Conversation that matters.
2: Pick up the text uh, machine, text 0868104106. Is it true that RTE staff also get a free television licence? No, I, I would imagine that's fake news and probably a myth. I can double-check it, but I wouldn't think so. Uh, RTE are like a bleeding-heart, phony charity who put their cap out to the licence payer with most of the money ending up on executive pay and unjustified expenses and golden handshakes. There is no, no future for RTE as I see it and I think they will eventually be sold off to Virgin or other media groups uh, un- under contract with the government for broadcasting. RT has preached the poor mouth for years when nothing could have been further from the truth. With regard to being prosecuted for not paying a television licence, if you get prosecuted and go to jail, uh, you, got, you get to watch TV for free, and you don't have to pay a licence. That's farce upon farce. And just another few. As far as I'm aware, it's illegal to support fraud in any way, shape or form in Ireland – wouldn't that be a win in a court case if you said you didn't want to pay your television license because you don't want to support fraud within the organization that it's paid to? would be interesting uh, legal defense that one if i want netflix neil i must pay for it if i want sky i have to pay for it disney Premier, S- uh, prime all must be paid for if i want a newspaper i buy one if i want to use the newspaper online i have to pay for it therefore with the examples above above i am supporting and paying my way with respect to broadcasting as are thousands of others paying for your netflix and your sky and you know, your disney etc the government says that the license fee is supporting public broadcasting the only thing it supports is rte which is an organization long past its sell-by date i'm sick to death of listening to the rte saga after all they're just giving the two fingers to everyone says sean i'm sick to death of it as well i wasn't expecting so many fireworks or so much like a muppet show as i did yesterday afternoon i thought it might have been a little bit on Toy Show the musical, but then it turned into 450 grand's here, and people not turning up, and Toy Show the musical farce and so what have you. Keep those coming. Text at six eight one zero four one zero six regarding gambling. I used to go to the bookies with my dad when I was younger. He used to play place bets for me. I'm not a gambling addict. It's down to the individual. Everyone has an addictive personality. It can be gambling. It can be alcohol. It can even be chocolate. So don't tell me that all kids exposed to gambling will become addicts. And, and well, I'm certainly not telling you that. I don't think that Pat Sheedy's telling you that either. What he is telling you is his own story. So more texts to come between now and midday on that and lots more besides. Remember I was telling you about the things that came into fashion and went out of fashion as we moved through the decades. Lana O'Connor picked up on it there in the 11 o'clock news. I told you about the 1970s and 80s. The things that became popular then in the 90s were broccoli, Test it. Peppers, muesli, low fat milk, filter coffee, and woks. Everybody got their own wok. And the things that went out of fashion in the 90s jelly, shame that that happened, the pint of milk, heavy overcoats, records. And having milk delivered by the milkman. Does anybody, imagine there are people still having their milk delivered on a daily basis. I'd still love to have a milkman, but we just don't drink milk, or enough of it anyway, to have a milkman deliver it. And then in the noughties, the things that became popular, fine quality wine. You see, the old Celtic tiger was roaring and everybody wanted the expensive wines. Uh, Energy drinks became uh, popular. Specialised teas. Of all sorts of fruits and flavours. And coffee makers. Digital cameras and games consoles. You know, your Playstations and your Wiis and stuff in the noughties. What went out of fashion in the noughties? Video recorders. Men's two-piece woolen suits. Loose tea leaves. (laughs) I'm not so sure about that. Uh, maybe they went out and came back in again, the tea leaves. Nothing better than a pot of tea. Video players, video recorders, public telephones, and Wellington boots. Wellies. And finally, uh, we don't have any other one apart from the, the decade of the tenties, as I call it, the 2010s. What became popular? Smart televisions. Pregnancy kits. Craft beer. Sweet potatoes. God forbid I hate them. Hake, And another thing that I can't abide besides the sweet potatoes, avocados, yeah? What went fell out of fashion in the 2010s? Ice cream cakes, turf, fillets of place, shoe polish, deep fat fryers, sherry, cooking apples, don't even go there if you're looking for an apple tart, and DVD hire extra vision and blockbuster and what have you that's a nostalgic piece there for you isn't it
3: text or whatsapp Neil now 0868 104 106
0: The Neil Brenderville Show on Red
2: FM. And don't forget it is day four of our giveaways in association with the Metropole Hotel. Your opportunity to win an overnight at the wonderful four-star Metropole for you and whomever you choose to take with you. Uh, You'll be treats in the room when you arrive and then dinner for two in the Met Bar and restaurant and then a delicious breakfast the next morning in the Riverview dining room. It's a gorgeous hotel and has been a gorgeous hotel for at least 125 years. So your opportunity to win that overnight is just a low Love story away with the week that's in it this week and Valentine's from yesterday. We're asking people how they fell in love, um, and the best stories win prizes all week long. So, share your own story of love or dating disasters or where you found love in a hopeless place. Text 0868 email neil at redfm.ie. I will get to those calls between now and midday, but I just want to go back to a story that I was dealing with recently, and that is electric cars and hybrid cars versus petrol and diesel. And I know the last time I was talking about this, and we would calls on the air. It had to do with range and range anxiety. Uh, I know of people who have hybrid cars and were told that they'd be promised 64 and 65 kilometres on a charge they're getting nothing like that. And I was told, ah, well, it's winter time, and it's different in the winter. Uh, a car that was promised in 64 in the manual was actually delivering 43 kilometres in a full charge. And if you turned on the heating as you drove or anything like that, you saw the range just diminish really quickly. So it's kind of early days in electric cars, but everybody seems to want one, electric and hybrid, so much so that there's another 21 million now being pumped in to boost electric vehicle charging infrastructures around Ireland, according to the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan. But then I saw Nadia Adan, who is Ashford Motors up in County Wicklow, who we spoke to on the air a couple of months back, is is not taking any more electric vehicles in um to to trade and then to to, to resell. I'm curious as to why. Nadia, good morning.
9: Good morning Neil the last time I was on with you and you gave me a shout out I'd that many customers call me from Cork and I love them but my god do they love to haggle
2: I'm glad they're haggling because we should be haggling for everything shouldn't we <laughs> Bring back the absolutely. old days of haggling but I'm glad you sold a lot of good motors to County Cork fair play to you What's I the did deal with Yeah you're welcome what's the deal with electrics though
9: Yeah, first of all, look, let me get this straight, Neil. This is a business decision by me. I'm not ditching the Greens. I'm not knocking anyone that wants to go and buy an EV. In fact, more power to them pardon the pun. And this is something that's been coming for the last while. The number of calls that I've been getting from clients looking to change from their EV and to go back into a diesel has gone from something like two a week to now to five or six a week. And sometimes they're even looking to downgrade. They don't care. They just want to get out of the uh, electric and back into a diesel. And then when I go and price it out in the market, the value is coming back something like half of what they paid six to 12 months ago. And these aren't cheap cars, Neil. These are Tesla's take hands and I don't want to be that person who has to give them this really bad news because it's not me it's the market and as well with the new Chinese brands coming into the market this is diluting it even further we've seen the likes of BYD and as well a lot of the, the electric cars were used by businesses for tax incentives, incentives through uh, lease agreements four or five years ago these are all coming back onto the market now okay. um, so we're okay. just seeing a huge dilution and the supply supply is 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 more than okay
2: a couple of questions for you just to pick up on what you just said there why then tell me why they're coming in and they want to get out of electric and go back to diesel you said why
9: yeah, so from the consumer point of view there's a couple of things. Uh, range anxiety as you so well mentioned there a few minutes ago Neil. So for example, I had a customer there who you know, bought an electric car and he was looking to change back into diesel and he said he was doing a daily commute from Dublin to Mullingar every day and he can get up and back with about 2 kilometres left to spare but if he had the heating on if he charged his phone or if he had the window open um, which increased an extra drag on the car which would use more battery, he would have to stop for an extra hour to charge that car every day and bear in mind this guy was just off a 12 hour shift people don't have a spare hour in the day to, to charge their cars they okay. just don't have it
2: okay okay so, so why then so he brings that back in it's a what is it a couple of years old and you don't want to touch it because of the battery is it
9: yeah yeah exactly so kind of one of the reasons for me and again it's a business decision is the sheer cost of these batteries like when they do get out of manufacturer warranty like look Neil I'm not saying I'm not going to not sell them forever but just currently under these conditions if a customer comes to me and says look I want an EV and I can't change their mind and I can get them one under manufacturer warranty of course I'm going to sell them one like at the end of the day if someone wants one I'll get them one I know business I wouldn't turn down a good deal if there's one to be done but the cost of these batteries at the moment when they're out of manufacturer warranty can run into the tens of thousands very few dealers in this country have that type of profit margin neil and i don't see any good second-hand car dealer taking that risk of covering these batteries when they're out of manufacturing warranty my conscience i couldn't sell a car like that and i couldn't sleep (sighs) at night knowing i had a car out like that. what is the warranty
2: typically on a battery
9: so on a on a new new one it ranges from the different manufacturers it could be five years It could be eight years. Like I know a certain dealer who um, sold a a hybrid Porsche years ago, uh, sold one back in as a secondhand car dealer. And he, he, he thought, oh, sure, like the battery should be covered. He was just out of the warranty three months and he ended up having to cover the battery. It was nearly 20 grand just for the Porsche hybrid battery
2: what does that mean he had to cover the battery to give the dealer would have to to give a warranty warranty. yeah
9: exactly so if it's out of manufacturer warranty we as dealers still have to warranty the car and it's fine doing it for petrols and diesels that have been around so long that we can factor these costs in 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 the warranty and also like you know you can kind of say well look that's that's not going to go for another while or that's cost to replace if it goes you can factor all these um, you know into it but with the batteries once they're out they're, they're just too costly like as I said I don't have 20 grand in the car. Okay, and I don't OK, that's the cost. Yeah. Good.
2: So what yeah. is the typical life of a battery then? Does it vary between a Tesla, a Volkswagen, a Nissan, a Toyota, things like that?
9: It does indeed. Yeah. So the Teslas would be different to, to, the, other, to the other brands. As I said, some of them are eight years, some of them are five years. You might get away. But again, the whole point is it's too risky. And for, to take on a risk of 20K, you know, versus not taking on a risk with a, a petrol and a diesel, it's a no brainer.
2: I recently was in Thailand, that's a by the way, but I was in a big shopping mall where there was a car display in there, right? And you mentioned a car brand, I imagine they're Chinese, called Nita, Nita, and this was an SUV, am I right? Is that what it is, Nita? Yeah,
9: I believe so. I met yeah, I said BYD, but go on. Okay, it's
2: another one. So maybe, I think they're Chinese. So this is a brand new SUV, full electric, 350 kilometre, full range, five-year warranty, When you do the conversion on it, it's 14,300 euro. Why is it so cheap there?
9: It, well exactly Neil like they're becoming like white goods and even the technology in them you know they're great powerful cars I've driven so many of them but at the end of the day technology changes so quickly that they become cheap they become like white goods um, and, and, and then that means the technology needs to be upgraded it's like your iPhone Neil you know every year a new one's coming out oh I know that
2: but like i pay 50 grand weeks. for something like that The that's, fit out was astonishing like leather interior why is there 50 yeah. grand price tag on it here and in Asia 14 and a half grand
9: well, I would say that probably has to do with the VRT and the cost of where they're getting manufactured. So obviously they're getting like built over there and then shipping costs and okay. everything like that okay. the Cost the VRT. Yeah.
2: It'd be hard to turn one down over there, though, at that kind of price. I mean, know, the cost I of the living is probably so, accordingly but- different.
9: Yeah, well look, at the end of the day, I don't know their infrastructure in terms of electric vehicles. I'm surprised it's so great in Thailand and we can't get it right here, you know and I know, I'm aware about this the scheme that's after being uh, put out yesterday and to Mr. Eamon Ryan, fair play to him now look, I'm only catching up on it yeah. and it's badly needed. However, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to put that into place over here. Okay. They're looking to achieve it by 2025, you know which still wouldn't increase my desire at the moment to buy an electric car in the current market condition. You know, I so you I, can drive whatever
2: car. you can drive whatever car you want. You got loads of them.
9: <laughs> Usually it's whatever has a bit of diesel in it, you know. <laughs> Neil, like I listen, I love my petrol cars. I do. I love the smell of fuel. I'm terrible. I know. I love the sound of the V eight. I love the sound of the V uh, ten. Um So out of your and, you cold know, dead hand the they won't
2: take the petrol away from you.
9: No, as long as I can keep driving them, I will. Right. And I, I, you know, I I hope the the market does get better and the conditions get better. And I think, you know, obviously something needs to be done environmentally. You know, of course we have scientists telling us that the environment has been damaged. And I think a mixture of hydrogen, e-flu, e-fuel, sorry, um, and hybrid, and possibly electric, if the infrastructure gets better. But in today's circumstances, I don't think EVs cutting it.
2: Okay, Nadia, thanks so much as always for taking the call, Nadia Adan from. Ashford Motors in the county of Wicklow. Uh, we spoke a few months ago on this topic with Greg Canty from uh, Fusion PR because he got himself an electric jag and had it for a while and just went and gave it back. I wonder if he's still as skeptical about electric, he's saying, or it did in the past say, we were being sold a pup. Greg, good morning. <laughs> yes, Neil, I am still
12: the skeptic, 100%. Um,
2: and what is it? What is it to do with value for
12: money, range anxiety, battery life? What? It's all of those, Neil. And I must say, first of all, Nadia, can I say, well done for making that decision not to push these vehicles on customers because it's a guaranteed way to lose those customers. You know, we need to be very, very practical about these cars and what they can do and what they can't. And I think it's a case of matching up the the, the right customer. Why would you lose the customer? You
2: sold them a brand new electric car which they asked you for. You told them the spec. You gave them the range. Um, What are you destined to disappoint them then, is it?
12: Uh, 100%. 100%. The the range isn't what it should be. You know, she was talking about that customer to Mullingar and getting home with two kilometres. And if you're on a spin and you're having to slow down and turn off your air conditioning hoping that with the grace of God you'll get to home, it's... That, 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 that is not a way for us to drive cars. Now, I do think it's really important. We understand why EV cars are a thing. You know, we, we need to save the environment and all that kind of stuff. 100% percent i buy into it. But when it comes to Nadia and all the car dealers out there, it's so important that they recommend electric vehicles for people where it's practical. Um, is that as a run, is enjoys, that as yeah. a runaround or is the hybrid the runaround? Is it or what? Oh, oh, absolutely, it, it, it's a runaround, one hundred percent. If you have a two car family and one effectively is a car that you end up going to done Stores here and there to do your shopping, popping in and out of town. But if you're going on a trip anywhere, you've got the bigger car, be it the petrol or the diesel, one hundred percent. But but don't don't recommend an electric for anyone who's doing any sorts of journeys at all. Um, but why? Just, I mean, why?
2: Why wouldn't somebody be comfortable with a range of three hundred and fifty kilometers? You're going to get yeah. to Dublin, okay. You'll probably have to charge coming back, but you will get to A to B on a long run.
12: Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I, I I was at soldier, Neil, and i'm doing the trips to Dublin. I spoke to my lovely the lovely guy who I trusted. I was four cars in, in with him down through the years, and I had my lovely electric. 350 kilometers. Now he said to me, I'm gonna be very honest with you, Greg, the three fifty is more like three twenty. Okay. So you look at the the mileage to Dublin, he tells you about the charging network, it's wonderful, you can get charges everywhere, so you're never gonna be out of juice. Okay. Week one, we're rocking up the road to Dublin. You know, traveling at the speed limit, one hundred and twenty kilometers on the motorway, and you're doing your calculations. You're looking at the range, and you realise very quickly, I'm not going to get there. Oh my god! Oh my god! So, yeah. So junction fourteen, you rock in. You're now wait a second. You left
2: Cork with a three hundred and twenty range. Okay, notionally it was three fifty, but you knew
12: Uh, it very notionally, very notionally. Okay, so why why were you
2: on? Oh, is it because you were doing one hundred and twenty kilometers an hour?
12: Oh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. When they talk about range, I think it's in ideal, ideal, ideal conditions. But when you're doing any sort of a journey, and, and cheekers almighty, if it's a bad day or a very hot day, the air conditioning comes on and you're going to use all of those things. To, to, to start talking to people about turning things off is just a stupid conversation. Yeah. You shouldn't have to do that in any car. Let's, let's get real here. And of course, they'll tell you, if it's very cold, the range would be even worse. Okay, so you're so
2: you're having to pull in on the way up for a quick for a quick. They're fast charges, though, aren't they?
12: No. Uh, okay, it's a fast charger, and in my little car and the, the lovely car that I had. If you want to charge, so bear in mind once you've got there, you're nearly out of juice. So it took me best part of an hour to charge that car fully. Now, if you're in a hurry, you might say, well, all I need to do is get to Dublin. Well, that's all well and good, and you might go there for 20 minutes. But then you postpone the problem down the down the road. Okay. So then you get to Dublin, that's and you rock it at the hotel. Yeah. yeah. And you realise in the hotel, they don't have a fast charger. They have two chargers in the hotel. And if there's some other customer of that hotel, who and they've happened to have their car there, well, yeah, good luck to you, you know. Now you're stuck with a car with 40 kilometres of range on it. And you're thinking, how am I going to get home?
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
12: yeah. Yeah, it, 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 and 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 the problem is we're, we've over marketed the thing. We're telling people the cars are wonderful, that the range is fantastic. We're telling people that the charging network is brilliant, and you'll never be stuck anywhere. And suddenly, when you're that soldier in the position, you realise this doesn't. It does not work. Every time you go to one of these charges in a shopping centre. They're all on a different system. It's another bloody app you need to download and another system. and You're, you're, you're standing there like a fool shoving in your email address and giving it passwords and you're taking your credit card. No. It, 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 and it's not, it's not cheap either. I, That's the other thing. I am I mean, mad keen I mean, to talk
2: with people on this program who are fans and very pro-electric cars. So let's hope that happens on 0868104106 by text. The, the other aspect, though, that can't be ignored is battery life, is it? the the warranty firstly and how long the battery will last and because I got pushed back last week from saying to somebody you have no idea what you're talking about a battery life they last much longer than the seven or eight years you're talking about if a electric car is looked after a battery can last twenty years do you know what I mean
12: yeah and and thankfully Neil I didn't even get to that stage you know I was only six months in and I knew my vehicle didn't work um, a, a great a great group of people to talk to about EVs are the taxi drivers. Hop into any taxi driver in Cork City. They'll all tell you that they got the 20 grand grant from the government. And one to a man, they'll nearly all tell you, I would do anything to be able to get my old petrol or my old diesel back. Because they're just not practical. They just do not work. I was talking to a guy last week and he said one of his buddies, he bought a second car because... The charge just runs down that he needs to continue working and continue earning a living. So he takes out his I don't know his ten-year-old petrol card that he brought back just yeah. to plug the gap. Um, they, they, they don't, and, and, and the big damage is we need to move to them as a society, and I get that. But the problem now is my conclusion is they don't work. And Nadia, the lady you are down there, is saying I'm not going to put my customers through that heartache. So before before it's even seeded as a solution for you know the the, the carbon crisis and everything else, it's like dead in the water with consumers are getting there very very quickly. Okay. Um, okay. The the other little thing I, I would say and and this maybe needs to come into the conversation. You know we think about diesel as being a bad thing. There is a an alternative which is called hedgefield. And it could be a very, very real alternative. What is it that? Doesn't damage. It's it's basically it's kind of vegetable oil. Um, it's used from waste oil. It, it, it's not a fossil fuel, and it works perfectly. You'll see. Actually, most grave now, I think, have a lot of their vehicles driving around the place using okay. HVO.
2: Okay.
12: There's a sting in the tail with it though, in that the government put duty on it. The very, very same as if it's regular diesel. So it's making it quite expensive, and I know there was a lobby for the last budget to try and get them to take the duty off it because it's not a, a con- you know a, a carbon contaminating fuel, but that didn't happen. Okay, okay. so that's an alternative. If, if more, okay. Yeah, yeah. If more okay. vehicles were using HVO, yeah. The, Regardless, the just just
2: finally with regards because we all love statistics and actual provable numbers. The number of new electric cars registered increased by twelve percent from January 23 to January 24. In 23, it was 2,500 vehicles. In 24, it's almost closer to 3,000. So in spite of what everybody is saying, the amount of new licensed cars that are electric continues to grow.
12: Yeah, and what I'd love to do in six months' time is ring every single one of those individuals. I'm guessing a lot of them will be first-timers. <laughs> and ask them to <laughs> share their experience. Good point. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, and I, I really mean that. I, I, okay. I don't mean to be running down something that's good for society and our environment, but I, I think we need to be careful how we market them. Um, and if we get it wrong, it, it, it's never going to be a solution, you know.
2: Thanks for that. As always, uh, Greg Canty from Fusion. That's his own case history, incidentally. I'd love to hear from those that are very, very pro uh, and very much in love with their electric cars so do text 0868104106 in defence of electric we've got calls on the way uh, Blake is standing by, so is Roman after the break
3: Call Neil now 0818
0: 104 106 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM
2: Back to the phone lines ago Romans a Polish businessman lived in Ireland like 11 years got transport options and transport networks around uh, Europe and works out of Scandinavia I think he's saying that Scandinavia is light years ahead of us when it comes to uh, EV uh, infrastructure but on his own experience primarily regards to electric Roman good morning uh good morning guys that, you... that will take just a few seconds okay so yeah your your own your own experience because you bought a big yes. electric car
13: yes yes and actually Usually I don't call the radio, it's happened in my life maybe two or three times when I hear it, that lady. Yeah, lady was really, really right, that's the number one, the number two. Now try to yeah, imagine yeah. now, I know Ireland is on the super condition because I know the Europe guys, and full respect, and you have a very good condition, so actually I know you can have it electric cars a lot, yes? Yeah. The number one. Yeah. Yeah, where are you going to plug them, yeah? Where are no, you going to plug uh, them I mean, in? Yeah yeah, every house outside Ireland is one, two, sometimes three cars. Try to imagine half of the country on the same moment in the night is charging them cars. Yeah. Look, I'm not electrician, so I don't know if it's possible or not, but I am asking why. Look, Norway made and Scandinavia made all the infrastructure for it long, long time before. So if I go McDonald, if I go tax office, any place I go and I turn my hand, my head, I see the Station, the charging station. If you go Karasok or Hammerfest on the end of the world, where it's mini small village, you have three or four stations yeah, and yeah. two petrol stations yeah. with the charger points. Yes. If you said That's in the, the text,
2: if you were in the middle of a Scandinavian forest, you'd find a charger for your car.
13: Exa- yes, okay. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Oh so- yeah. yeah. So so I know you have no ready infrastructure for it. That's the number one. And all the Europe actually is on the big problem with that because Germany is very big when I'm passing many kilometers. And in the business, I will never buy again electric cars. I will not to say the model because model is very good and company is very good. In the summertime, okay, I don't need to use too many systems, no extra heating, yeah. no Vebasto which I have in the car, which I order it extra in the summertime, what is not super popular. In what what did you order? Surprise. Sorry, Roman.
2: What did you order? Extra. The pasto.
13: Look, the pasto, This is one small thing in the car which you can switching on from your window, and when you go to your car, is very hot. Actually, a oh, big okay. surprise is not. A big surprise is not popular in Ireland. Okay, but but, because, but 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 let let's talk about the range. Yes. um Yeah. He, so look, if, if if it's coming the winter time. I am on the very big trouble. We transporting people all around the Europe on the buses eight, a six, eight, nine seats, which is on class license class B. And I am on the very, very big trouble all the time because I have to make many kilometers and after 150, 160 kilometers, I'm on the trouble all the time. So I know I will never buy them again. And I have cars which I buy it before what you talk about diesel. I will not to say the names for that cars. Yeah. I know in Ireland, thousand kilometers is too much, but I have many with six, seven 700,000. And that car is serviced and it's on the regular. So you
2: road. have... You have- Cars with six hundred thousand on the clock. They're diesel and they're still going strong.
13: Man, if you want, let they give me your private number. I sent you the name of the company and I sent you. No, that's the okay. But so you, you're, you're,
2: you would advocate diesel is the way to go. Still,
13: of course. Okay. Actually, I'm in Ireland now and I came by. One car, which is diesel, three hundred ten thousand kilometers already, but it look like new. All right. And I will never go to the electric cars. One, just one thing, last thing about the electric car. Yes, if I'm gonna work, for example, in Pfizer, for example, yes, and I'm gonna have that job for the future, and I have the plug, and I have, like many countries, have it. Uh, sun uh, battery on the roof and you make all that connection then it's okay, you yeah. are making some kilometers to your workplace, you come back it's okay, but in the business no, definitely no, and like I say uh, what's gonna happen after use car you can sell, yes now I can bring so many cars from Norway I have many connections and I can sell them in Poland they are so cheap but the next day someone has to wake up and someone has to buy battery for 20,000 euro yeah?
2: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about battery life in a second but um i appreciate your contribution you're saying um that you tried it won't go back to it Diesel all the way. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks, Roman. Blake Boland is, the, uh, talk, is talking on behalf of the, the AA, and the AA is going to know an awful lot about uh, electric gas, um, sorry, electric, petrol, diesel, and indeed and indeed, gas, and he joins me by phone. Blake, good morning. Good morning. I, I won't keep you long, and I do appreciate you holding, um, and of course we, we know that with climate change and everything, electric is the way to go. What, what, are, what do the AA make of it? Say, for instance, with regards to battery life and range.
7: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. We're hearing an incredible amount of misinformation out there at the moment, and this isn't new. We've been hearing this for, for many, many years, all right. Um, and as you just mentioned, battery life is one of those things that we're hearing. And, and look, batteries do degrade over time. Like any objects, they're not going to last forever. But that rate of degradation is nothing like what, what people are saying. Now, there's early versions of Nissan Leaf, the Renault Zoe, you know, that have been around for 10, 11 years at this stage, and yeah, they're definitely suffering. They've, they've dropped range, all right. The modern ones that come out with proper battery management systems are going to last for a very, very long time, Uh, perhaps the length of the lifetime of that actual vehicle.
2: Okay, so Uh, the the pioneers that got in earlier, the ones that will suffer with regards to trade-ins, but the ones that are buying the new ones now, you're saying, will get... How long? Does it vary on the brand?
7: Uh, Not necessarily on the brand, because a lot of the different brands are using... This you know similar the same battery manufacturers be that Panasonic or CATL and so on so that you can actually find different brands using similar battery cells. But people talk about a battery in an EV. This is a battery pack that's in an EV, which is made up of a number of modules, and in each of those modules is loads and loads of different batteries. So there's actually hundreds, actually hundreds of batteries in each car. So when we hear talk about you have to replace a battery, well they're broken down into modules. So if for some reason you're a little bit unlucky and you you've got one that has a fault why don't you just take out that module and replace that why would you change hundreds of cells when really only a few might be an issue
2: but but what what is the battery life then typically
7: so there's no straight answer for that unfortunately it 's how long is a piece of string, but well, we can see warranties out there of six, seven, eight years, one hundred and fifty thousand kilometers, but in all likelihood, they will last far longer than that and you know you can run that the car for two let's say two hundred thousand three hundred thousand kilometers, and let's say theoretically it has lost twenty percent of its range, so now it 's down from what was four hundred kilometers dependable you know down to let's say just over three hundred that doesn't mean that like a light switch, that car is now unusable. Yeah, it just got less range than it used to have yeah. so there's no direct answer to that
2: but dealers will be slower won't they to take in and to give warranties to EVs and their battery because if, yeah. like, with electric or petrol either the engine is sound or it's not
7: yeah, this this is a choice that they'll have to make, but this is going to come back to the warranties. Are they still under warranty? And also, there's a lot of really good software out there at the moment, and I've used it myself on, on, on a car where you can plug a, the OBD dongle in, and it will give you a report back on the state of health of that battery in detail even coming down to cell voltages and things like that so you can tell quite easily by plugging one of these in if you're you you're know, if you're willing to go out buy the equipment do the research on how to use it and you can tell the state of health of that battery and then perhaps you know at that stage look this is still at 87% state of health after 180,000 kilometers for example yeah, 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 and you yeah. know what condition that's in
2: Okay so you would still be advocating that EV in spite of range anxiety or worries about battery life or whatever is still the way to go or is it that we We actually have no choice because that's all we'll be able to buy in 2030, is it?
7: Well, it, it, it's the way things are going anyway. Now we we don't see it as our role to tell people what they should buy. Our job is to help them out when they do buy those cars. If something goes wrong, whether what you know, whether that's petrol, diesel, or, or battery electric, but it certainly looks like it's the way things are going that we're being moved over towards electric. And a lot of people are very very happy with them, and some people aren't.
2: Okay, thanks for taking the call. Do appreciate that's Blake Boland at the AA. Your thoughts are welcome, pro or anti electric, or indeed hybrid. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six.
0: The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM.
3: Conversation that matters.
2: Alright, I wish you had more time. Uh, I see a lot of texts coming in on different topics including the EVs and I will come back to them, I promise you that but uh, it's day four of our giveaways with the Metropole Hotel. Your opportunity to win for yourself an overnight for two at the four star Metropole. It'll be treats and all sorts of lovely things in your bedroom on arrival. Then dinner for two in the Met Bar and Restaurant. Have a nice couple of drinks and then get a good night's sleep or whatever and enjoy a delicious delicious breakfast the following morning in the Riverview dining room. Uh, we got some great stuff on it yesterday. In fact, we've had a really good week on it when you sum up all the parts. Um, I met my husband while I was in hospital back in 2021. Uh, I'm deaf in my left ear and I was going for surgery to see if they could get my hearing back. The operation was not successful. He was visiting his sister's friend with her and we just got talking. I was in hospital for two weeks and he came, Brian, came in to see me every day. Since that day, we've never had a day where we didn't talk to each other. Married 13 years, two, sorry, three healthy gorgeous kids were as happy as the first day we met. I was in the right place at the right time. In spite of though not working year, says Nora. I was working in a jewellery shop in Cork City Centre at the time. I'd seen this guy a few times in the shopping centre, but only ever said hi until one day when he came in to buy a present. So I was giving him my undivided attention and showing him different jewellery, only to find out that he was buying a gift for his ex-girlfriend. It's a strange one. I gave it. I gave out to him, saying, why are you buying your ex something? And And he laughed. Seventeen years later, we're now married with two boys, says Tracy. Well, you can thank his ex for that, I suppose, can't you, Tracy? And to the phone lines we go, what's left of our time? I want to hear two different stories. Kira's first is uh, standing by, but first up, Siobhan O'Leary. Siobhan.
1: Hello.
2: Uh, I want to know all about you and Brendan.
14: (laughs) Okay. Uh, I met Brendan about ten years ago at a dinner party that a friend, a close friend of mine, had set up. Uh, She was trying to set up uh, a good friend of mine who had been single for years, an English friend, with a nice, single, eligible man. So she invited Brendan and another fella, Colin, and myself and my my partner at the time, ex-partner now, thank God, uh, were there as well, and my kids. And um, Brendan was very drunk very quickly he was surly and he was
2: weird (laughs) you described him as surly weird and drunk
1: (laughs) Yeah, he
4: was
1: (laughs) he starts at the end
14: of the table oh he's a real catch
4: though (laughs) isn't he a real catch
1: (laughs) well I spent most of the night
14: chatting to the other fella and my chronically single friend um, didn't fall for anyone and and left left back for England single still but um so after that night I, I didn't really think about him again other than he was a weirdo and uh, I, I quite soon after that split from my the father of my children and uh, I had a few years of being single and, and happily single. But my friend Martina kept saying to me, Yourself and Brendan are so suited, you'll have to meet him again. And I said, Not a chance. He's a weirdo, not interested. I'm happily single. And she persisted and persisted. And I was at our house one day, and her mother in law was there. And she said, you know, he's a fabulous worker. He's after doing great things in my garden and he's put up my polytunnel. And Jesus, you know, wouldn't you get him over to the house and, and put him to work in the garden? Was she he's on commission
2: or something? Him? She was on commission, was she? <laughs> anyway, he arrives, does he?
14: He arrived. So I gave him a call. I said, sure, what's the harm? I actually did need work doing in the garden and I did need a polytunnel erector And uh, he arrived over... With long hair and a weird headband on, and I thought, "Oh Jesus Christ, who is this fella?" And he went around the garden and he slagged me off for about three quarters of an hour and laughed at me and teased me. And I invited him in for coffee. I, he was irritating me, but I was a bit—I was a bit taken. I liked being teased that way. And he, I invited him for coffee, and he said, "No, thank you." And he drove off quickly. And. Um, so anyway, he never came back. He we we made a couple of arrangements for him to work in the garden. Yeah, never He got said done. he needed help putting up the polytunnel. So, ha- but how how, how
2: did I know? But how did it ultimately re- result in a relationship?
14: So basically, uh, a few years more went past and Martina kept persisting and I kept saying, no, he's useless. He never turned up. He didn't come and do the work. No, come on now, leave it, leave it. And she said, no, you two are absolutely meant to be So one day, a Sunday afternoon, myself, herself, and another woman, a friend, were going off for a walk in the country, or so I thought. And uh, she brought me to his house without me knowing. And the next thing she said, Oh, sure, look, we're at Brendan's house. We'll see if he can take us for a (laughs) walk. That was intentional.
1: Yeah.
14: Absolutely. So it turns out he's a disability nurse. He's just woken up from doing night shift. And the poor man answered the door all bedraggled and half asleep. And. uh, I must admit, I got a bit of a, a little flutter when I saw him. And um, so we went for a walk, the lot of us in the country. And uh, the next day he rang and asked me out on the date. And I hadn't been on a date in about 16 years. So I was um, I was very nervous. Where'd you and, go? And terrified. We went to a pizza restaurant in Ballydaab. And uh, the last thing is I was caring for my mother She had dementia She's living with me And the two kids And um, all the the home helps Were lecturing me about the date And they were saying Just take it easy And don't be nervous But don't give them too much And whatever you do Don't go Don't end up in bed with them, And just take it easy (laughs) And I got lectured did you follow all those rules? No, I absolutely... He had got the same lecture from... He worked oh, with a group of nurses and, and care assistants, and they so all So did you said, break every single one
2: of those pieces of advice?
14: We broke every bit of advice. We broke everything.
2: <laughs> no going back after that, then.
14: No, he invited me home to look at his record collection, which wasn't just... Uh, that was actually a real deal. You had... He has he had a fabulous ah. stack of vinyl records, and uh, we put otis wedding on, who is my favorite me, singer. okay
4: All right.
2: All right. listen and, uh, i'm gonna get I'm gonna get Lisa Jane on here for the little bit of time that I've left, but anyway, it worked out in the, it worked out in the end with the surly weird and drunk drunken
14: <laughs> yeah, he proposed after uh, forty days and we'd been married twice once in a hand fastening because he was legally married at the time. Yeah. Separated so ten years. And then the second time in the registry office last oh, okay. night
2: right. Hang in there. Hang in there. I don't think she's even finished at this stage. But Lisa Jane, good morning. <laughs>
1: Good morning Neil right, so I'm
2: going to need a slightly more edited version if you don't mind with regards to yourself Yeah I realise I
1: realise Okay. So the short version of a very long 32 year story is myself and Jason who I think is listening we met when we were about 19 or 20 and we ended up together had a little flat first time we'd left home but being young um, we didn't last we ended up going our separate ways I relocated to Ireland not too long after that and uh, in 20 I was rifling through a recipe book. Um, we had lost contact many, many years ago. And uh, I found this photograph. It just dropped out, which was strange because it's not the first time I'd been in that book over the years. First time I'd noticed it. And it was the two of us together at a ball. Uh, so I decided to go looking for him on social media just to see how he was, to see how life had treated him. And um, we ended up on a video call for hours um, Cutting a very long story short, I ended up meet, meeting him. We're still living in the UK. I'm still living in Ireland. And 32 years later, we got back together. And what did he, he do in the 32, 32 year? In,
2: well, no, that was serendipitous that the photograph fell out of the recipe book. But what uh, he had been, what had he been doing for 32 years?
1: Oh, uh, well, he had been doing many things. He'd been working in the UK. Um, he had got married and divorced. As, as had I at, at certain stages Wow <laughs> and uh, we both just gone off and he travelled a lot and we spoke on our separate ways and lived our lives as you do Wow and the uh,
2: power of my, social media that all those years later and and he was okay with you reaching out was he?
1: Absolutely delighted to hear from me As and do you know what uh, it's the best thing ever happened to me and I'm, I am I always like I can say the same for him because he has to put up with me but I absolutely love the bones of him and the fact that he gave up his life and relocated to Ireland to give it a go just because And do you ever I know that
2: me. and uh, listen if I had more time I'd quiz you even more but do you ever think about the do you regard those as 32 wasted years now or what?
1: Well not at all we would never have lasted had we not gone off and lived our lives the way we needed to and then come back together Feeling like we haven't missed
2: out on anything. Wow, that's a great story, and all from the photograph dropping out of Boy. the recipe book in yeah. 2022, having been in there for 30 odd years.
1: His mum had actually passed away um, about a year before, and I still think now that that was his mum saying, Come on, give it's me a time. Shout, It's time, it's time. He could be married, he could be married, kid.
2: You're I
10: waited long married. enough, it's We're time
1: yeah absolutely there's a novel there's a a novel in that
2: like kind of a Mills and Booney novel isn't there there is maybe I'll
1: write one one day yeah I call it the
2: recipe book (laughs)
1: loving loving
2: between the covers of a recipe I don't know something like that
7: (laughs) (laughs) anyway I want to say I want to say where are you
2: living on West Cork is it in well, come on up from East Cork for an overnight in the four-star Metropole Hotel and bring Jason with you, all right? Oh, Neil,
1: that'd be wonderful. We'd love it. Thank ah, you so much. Ah, it's a lovely
2: story, Lisa Jane. Thanks for sharing it. That's have a good brilliant. one. Take care.
1: Thanks a million. A great show. Thank you. Love Bye. It. We'll do day. some
2: more again tomorrow, oh. Friday. So keep those wonderful stories coming. Text 0868 104 106. If you've got some time, email neil at redfm.ie and we'll have our fifth and final giveaway, courtesy of ourselves in the Metropole Hotel in the morning. Everything else we'll have to wait. I'm way over time Have a good
0: day. I'll see you tomorrow.
3: When court talks,
0: car people blow my
3: mind. They talk to Neil Prendeville
0: on Red FM.